Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Also look for us on Facebook. We ask you to subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes delivered right to you through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, and of course, leave reviews to help others find the program as well. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash political beats. You can help the show stay ad-free as we are. Support our efforts on the program at entry level for support and voting privileges, mid-level for early access to all of our new shows at a higher audio quality, and our upper-level bestest friends with exclusive content once per month, remastered episodes, and more, including Spotify playlists too. Patreon.com slash political beats. Patreon.com slash political beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I have run my shorts up the flagpole. I've got my Nintendo Power Glove on. I have pulled out my acoustic guitars, pulled up a string section, parked them in the corner of the room. And folks, let me tell you, I am getting ready to salute the Omaha sound. <laughs> Find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. And our guest on today's program is an opinion writer for the Washington Post. You can find her work at WashingtonPost.com, at her website, HelaneOlin.com, and on Twitter, at Helene Olin. She is, indeed, Helene Olin. Helene, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on. And you can always find me on Twitter. I'm there way too often. <laughs> Probably to all of our detriment that we're there far too often. Far too often. Uh, before we get to uh, talking about our band today, Helene, we open the floor. You can tell our listeners all about you, uh, your career, and how you ended up uh, being, in fact, an opinion writer at the Washington Post. Hey there. So how did I end up doing this? Um, the story traces back about 25 years ago to Los Angeles when I moved out here with my husband and I was doing freelance writing. I'm obviously a journalist. And uh, one day somebody at the LA Times calls me up and says, do you know anything about personal finance? We need somebody to sub in at the money makeover feature, which is the, you know, sort of the financial feature that's the equivalent of beauty makeover. Hmm. And they made the fatal error of telling me how much it paid before actually getting my answer, which was no, I didn't know anything about personal finance, <laughs> except for one fact which is when somebody offers you double your normal rate, you immediately say yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I, I immediately say yes. I uh, get my assignment. I get in my car. I drive to the Bev Center. I basically buy out a shelf of books <laughs> on personal finance. I go home. I do this money makeover. I mean, I'm so ignorant. I am like spelling financial terms phonetically because I have no idea what an annuity is. I mean, this is like really bad, right? <laughs> Anyway, somehow I pull this off and they actually give me another assignment and they give me another assignment. And eventually, as the case goes, I end up like basically writing and running the thing for several years. And the reason I tell the story is because about 10 years later, during the financial crash, I start thinking about all of this again, uh, because it's obviously quite the story and how it, what money meant to us. And I write a short essay about it. And this ultimately becomes a book called Pound Foolish, exposing the dark side of the personal finance industry and how we are sort of sold this idea of finance as a way around income and stagnation and income inequality and the like. 
and how we were sort of sold on the bootstrap mentality if we could do it all ourselves. And um, that I ended up then writing, writing a book called The Index Card with Harold Pollack at UChicago on how to do personal finance because one of the results of writing Pound Foolish was that people would write me and say, yes, 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 we get that this is all a, you know, a cover, but like we need to live in the here and now and what do I do with my 401k? Hmm. I trust you because you told me it was all bullshit, and, <laughs> which seemed kind of crazy, but seemed legit. So I ended up doing that. And then I was also writing for Slate where I was a staff writer. And uh, from there, I ended up going to the Washington Post where I've been for uh, three and a half years now. And you can find, again, work at WashingtonPost.com and at her own website and on Twitter. And Helene joins us today, thankfully, to talk about uh, a a band she volunteered to discuss, a band and an artist. And it's one, this is one that I know that Jeff was somewhat unfamiliar with as we begin to uh, dive into the details. And I don't know for how many of our listeners this will be a a real strict introduction to this work and, and how many have been following the careers of Rilo Kylie, and then by extension, of course, Jenny Lewis and her solo career. This is some wonderful music. Elaine joins us to discuss. Elaine, we turn the floor back over to you to explain why you love Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis, how you got into them, and why people should care about this music. This is it. Okay, where do I start? Um, I guess I'll start with how I discovered them, which was about a decade after the fact. And which I think is not uncommon for this group, as we just discussed, right? You never heard of them. And the way it happened was is in 2000, I think it's 2014, Jenny Lewis releases an album that has a song called uh, Just One of the Boys on it, which is this terrific feminist anthem. And somebody I know sends it to me with a link, hmm. um, like, oh, you'll really like the song. And of course, you know, I'm sitting at my computer, as I usually am, and I, um, it's just one of the guys. Sorry, did I just misstate it? And she, I put it on. I think, oh, this is a good song, right? song you know how on youtube things just go one to the other Mm -hmm. the next song comes on and it's rabbit fur coat which is her from her first solo album and i'm like how did i not hear this when it was released eight years ago this is one of the greatest songs i've ever heard and from there i sort of go down uh to use a jenny lewis term uh the rabbit hole (laughs) and i just fall backwards into listening to all of Jenny Lewis and all of Rilo Kiley, who I had mostly missed as well. I should say for me, the that first decade is sort of a lost decade because I had musically because I had small kids and <laughs> I was mostly at music together classes. So it was just this amazing discovery to make. And um, 
I sort of just really fell hard for it. I don't know how else to say it. And I, I'll jump in before Jeff goes because I know <laughs> this is somewhat new to to him. I um, also ran into Rilo Kylie um, and Jenny Lewis in in the middle of things as as Helene did. I'm nearly certain that well, <laughs> thinking back, of course, my first introduction was watching Tr Beverly Hills over and over again when I was a youngster. Uh, we'll talk a little about Jenny Lewis's acting career here in a little bit, but um, I my first introduction to Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis was. I'm nearly certain someone made the comparison between Jenny Lewis and Rabbit Fur Coat and uh, Nico Case. And well, they're both female artists. They both have very nice voices, although different, and they both have red hair. But I, I wouldn't make a ton of comparisons between them, but it was, but Rabbit Fur Coat is about as, as, as close as they would get <laughs> in their careers. <laughs> and so that, that got me interested because I was a huge Nico Case fan and still am. And so Rabbit Fur Coat, that's where uh, I entered and I... Bought that album and Rise Up With Fists. That was the first song I heard. Uh, I knew there was a cover of, of uh, Handle With Care on the album. And boy, I really loved Rabbit Fur Coat and still do. It's hard to believe your prophets When they're asking you to change things But with their suspect lives We look the other way Are you really that pure, sir? Under the Blacklight was the next album I, I I bought. It was the next album released, right? It was the one that came after. Rilo Kylie released this one more group effort before disbanding. And I, I think Under the Blacklight gets, uh, it was not well-reviewed at the time. And I'm not sure it's really all that, aged all that well in retrospect. There are some parts of it I like a lot. And I did listen to it a ton at the time. The CD case had the purple hue to it. It was like a purple tinted CD case, which I also like quite a bit. And, and then it was going both directions. I was going backwards uh, to get uh, the old Riley Kiley uh, albums, Rilo Kiley albums. And I was going forwards as Jenny Lewis was releasing uh, new efforts and appearing as a, as a guest here and there in different places. I knew she was a, a guest vocalist on Elvis Costello's album Momofuku from 2009 or so. And uh, uh, it had to be around that time. Actually, earlier. Anyway, whatever, whatever year that was. And just really have enjoyed her voice and her career. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this a bit further, I think. But, but this is a difficult career to sort of take in summation because each album is different from the last in small and big ways. And it's tough to sort of draw this line from one point to another and say, you know, there's this growth here and she's doing this better here because they're all a little bit different. And uh, Helene was mentioning before we started, you know, if you ask someone about the favorite Jenny Lewis song or album, there, there are a ton of different answers. 
And it's not quite like the Spoon excuse, which is Spoon has been consistently excellent on all those albums. It's no surprise that people would pick different albums. Uh, Jenny Lewis's output and Rilo Conte, all of it is very, 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 very good. Um, but I don't know if there's that one standout, you know, five-star breakout sort of album. Maybe there is. We'll discuss. Um, but because they're all really so good in sometimes different ways, I think they hit people at different times and hit different ears in different ways. And so you do have this real interesting mixture, and I'll look forward to hearing you know, our five songs at the end of this episode, as to what people sort of are attracted to and what they grab onto from her, from her career. Uh, but it's a it's a very rewarding career, and uh, I'm really happy we found Helene to take this journey with us through the discography. And Jeff, I know, is essentially, was essentially, as happens to me, as happens to him occasionally as we do these episodes, brand new. Most of this brand new, Jeff. It's actually two shows in a row now where I've been essentially brand new to the artists that we're discussing. And, you know, in the Afghan Wigs case, you know, with Greg Dooley, Twilight Singers, I had at least heard of the Wigs as a name in the 90s when I was in like middle school and high school. There were, you, you read them mentioned in Rolling Stone, and there's that kind of a thing, but I'd never actually gotten to hear any of the music until quite recently. And, and that it turned out very well. This one turned out very well as well. And I think one of the reasons why. Uh, I was not even familiar with the name of Rilo Kylie as a band uh, and that other people might have been uh, because is they landed and they first started getting big right at the point where I was at my maximum alienation from mainstream music. So I was in, <laughs> in college and what was I listening to? I was listening to prog rock, post-punk, old music, you know, the very few bands then that I was deeply into were ones that had actually just sort of landed on me by accident. Bands like Spoon, for example, Radiohead, obviously, Arcade Fire, things like that. Um, <clears throat> Rilo Kylie, if you'd asked me then, you know, in fact, if you'd asked me even as recently as like a few months ago, I would have said, isn't that a character in the extended Star Wars universe? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't that like a rebel stormtrooper or something like that? Because that's what it sounds like. Kylo Ren, Rilo Kylie, I don't know. I, I feel like George Lucas may have even stolen the name from them in some way. Uh, but I didn't know any of this music. And when I, you know, picked it up, when we, we booked the show, and we booked it long in advance. So we had, thankfully, I had a lot of advanced prep time for this, you know. And I, I, my first fear was like, oh no, is this going to be Zoe Deschanel music? And, and, <laughs> And okay, listen. And what would some, be wrong with that, by the way? But uh, go ahead. Zoe Deschanel, lovely actress, talented singer. I heard some of her songs, and the way they are characterized, and in fact, she was sort of like the archetype for this thing back in the day, was the manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles girl who's like arty and a little flighty and a little weird and a little quirky, but oh, she's got a heart of gold and she's <laughs> creative and all, all these sort of almost, in a way, if you think about them, sort of patronizing male cliches, nerd male cliches, like, <laughs> oh, this is the girl who I always wanted. Why didn't I go to high school with the girl like that man like that kind of stuff right and zoe Deschanel, as i said i'm not denigrating her talents in any way but she does absolutely fit into that mold and so like i started picking up i started of course as i always do i go chronologically i start with like the first few albums and i thought uh, okay just want to make sure i've got a wispy voiced female singing here some light acoustic folk textures uh this better not be what i think it could be and of course the the, the wonderful 
revelation is that that's not what it is at all. And of course, the irony is is that I actually did know who Jenny Lewis was. I, of course, first encountered her uh, in The Wizard, <laughs> everyone's favorite, completely you know commercially exploitative <laughs> Nintendo Entertainment System film designed to unveil Super Mario Brothers three to the world, starring Fred Savage. You know, as the older brother who's shepherding his like I, you know, emotionally developmentally stunted younger brother who happens to be like a Nintendo wizard across the country, and and then they encounter a young girl along the way, and who does that girl happen to be? It's Jenny Lewis, and like in one of her first major starring roles, you know, as as a child actress, you know, and she was also in Troop Beverly Hills. By the way, they do a video for one of their songs, much one of Jenny Lewis's solo songs, much later on, with like Fred Armisen and a bunch of other people that just parodies all of these things that has her like dressing up in all the old outfits from the movies and stuff like that. It's pretty funny stuff. Um, but of course, that's what I knew her from, and that's what she had been doing. And she decided she just didn't want to do that anymore. She didn't want to be a child actress. She's going to write a lot of very interesting songs. Rabbit for Coat, in fact, uh, that Helene mentioned is a, is a great example of that, where she's very autobiographical about her past and about her childhood. Um, but she met up with another guy <laughs> who also was a child actor and was literally the, the, the ladies' man. Of course, he's like you know an 11-year-old boy, the <laughs> ladies' man from the Nickelodeon TV show Salute Your Shorts. He was Pinsky. He was like, you know, the suave kid. Of course, these things are so annoying when you watch them as adults. You're like, look at this kid trying to pretend he's like, you know, an adult or whatever. But like, yeah, he was in Salute Your Shorts. He was also a child actor. I think he was also in like Boy Meets World or one of those like 90s sitcoms that I never watched. They both basically met up with one another and were equally alienated from the whole child acting scene in Los Angeles and said, listen, I, we have other ambitions in life. And they both happen to be musicians. Now, there's a lot of embarrassing actors who have musical side projects. I, what was the name of Keanu Reeves's band? Was it Dog Star or something yes. like that? Yes. You don't really never he, need to hear Dog Star. But the difference is that these two people actually had a lot of talent which is rare. They happen to be great songwriters, great performers. Uh, Lewis had a voice, which, by the way, the one thing that I think you absolutely can say about Jenny Lewis as a singer is that she improved over time. Mm -hmm. She became so much more confident by vocalist by the end of the Rilo Kylie era and all the way into her solo career. Um, but they, they were actually good at what they did, and they formed a band. And uh, what, what's the story here, Scott, about uh, how like you know they, they formed like kind of a pickup band and they were playing gigs in the local LA scene? And which celebrity was it who who, who happened to see them at their first ever show and yeah. decide I'm going to produce your EP it's or a, pay for your EP? This is not the only. Uh, I can't recall the other story now, but there's a, there's a famous song that's actually about Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall and News Radio and and uh, and elsewhere. Uh, but in addition to that song, which is not coming to mind, uh, he was at the very first Rilo Kylie show, at least the story goes, and was uh, so impressed with their performance that he offered to bankroll them uh, to record a, a bunch of demos and a bunch of early stuff. And so we, we literally can thank Dave Foley, not just for starring in the greatest network sitcom of all time in news radio, but also for bankroll at the beginning of this wonderful band and wonderful artist, Rilo Kiley and Jenny Lewis. Thank you, Dave Foley. I mean, and that leads to the first EP. Now, now Helene, in our pre-show notes, said that she didn't like it. It's an EP, but it's an album length. Right. It's, like it's 35 minutes. minutes. Yeah. 
yeah, it might you just call it an album, but it's it's called Rilo Kylie. I think it, maybe it was reissued as Initial Friends or something like that. And I know Elaine said that she didn't care for this very much. And if this is the first thing she'd ever heard by them, she probably would never have really landed on them as an artist. Um, I have to say, once I get over my initial trepidation about like, uh oh, is this another Magic Pixie Dream Girl band? This is obviously very halting, and it is their first release. So it is not the the artist that they would develop into. I really like this first EP a lot, and I, and I really I'll start by saying I like the fruit, <laughs> which is the opening song, you know, and it's very cutesy, right? You know, I can do the fruit, I can do the RoboCop, but I can't do the Snurf, you know. And uh, it's a song about her basically, you know, saying like, oh, I'll never fall in love. I can take my clothes off, but I'll never fall in love. And she's trying to pretend so very clearly and desperately in that lyric that she's not intensely jealous of <laughs> your girlfriend, but she clearly is. She says, I'll never fall in love. And the way she sings it and the way they play it, you can already tell that she has. And I can do the I can do the I can do the I cannot do the and I can hate your girl I can tell you that she's real pretty I can take my clothes off I cannot fall in love You'll never see my eyes I will not call you back I cannot do the smurf I cannot fall in love I'll never fall in love I cannot 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 fall in love I should say I I sort of agree with you. I actually think the Frug is probably the best is definitely the best on there. I'm always wondering about it because the chances are incredible I did hear this at the time. I was living in Los Angeles and it had to have been played on Morning Becomes Eclectic, which was which is a you know it was the great KCRW uh independent radio show. And obviously I did not pick up on it. And and I think part of it is listening to the album again in the past week, or you know, what is sort of an album is I think it was just probably a bit too teenage and emo. Hmm. It, it's very, you know, a bit very teenagerish. Her voice is very, I mean, the Frug is a terrific, terrific song. But, but she has that know, light, airy voice. Airy I voice. can do the Frug, that kind but, of a thing. Right. I mean, she really hasn't come into her voice yet. I mean, it is charming, but I think it's also just a, a lot of, you know, teenage angst in the various lyrics of, of the uh of the different songs. Um, there is literally a song called Asshole on the album, I mean, which sort of says it all. But um, That's a good song too, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's not bad. And another called Teenage Love Song. And I mean, but on the other hand, you know, the Frug especially, it really begins to establish the Jenny Lewis personality, which is a bit of a play on the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, right? Which is, you know, there's, very cute, flirty aspect to her. But there's obviously something else there as well. I mean, that Dave Foley is the guy who picks up on it actually doesn't surprise me because one of the things about both Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis is that it's often very subversively funny when you mm -hmm. listen to the lyrics in a sort of very dark way. And, and I do think that comes across a bit in even this first um, album. I like this, uh, it was reissued actually just last year in 2020, and uh, it's called The Initial Friend. So if you're looking for it on some of the streaming services, it might be called The Initial Friend as it was re-released last year. 
Uh, but goodness gracious, that's 22 years ago at this point. These bands that we think of, at least I think of as, as new, have been around for nearly a quarter of a century at this point. Um, this is good. And, and much like Helene, I, I, as I hear the Frug again for the first time in who knows how long, it seems like that is a song that I did hear back around that time, but it may have just burrowed in my brain and now is emerging like a 17-year cicada as, uh, as we discuss this, uh, this first EP. It's a great song. Love the hand claps, big hooks. Um, and, and yes, it's a, it's a first effort, and they, they've not quite found the sound yet, and Jenny Lewis's voice is not quite where it would be in the next, uh, certainly the next two or three albums when she begins to sort of mature, at least vocally. Uh, but you see, you see some of the some of the patterns uh, that would that would emerge. There, there, there is some very uh, delicate moments, some very sweet moments. Uh, lyrically, uh, you know, there there's some things you can take biographically. Uh, there's this uh, this like disarming sincerity to some of the lyrics that are just sort of out there. I mean, they're just there for you to take in. Um, I like Teenage Love Song, which uh, which I think Helene mentioned. It's it's really a, a nice. It's a, it's a country ballad that yes. turns into a classic rock ballad at the end of it, and like yeah, I'm always a sucker for that kind of a thing. So now we're standing so damn close. You've been in rehab. You think I don't know? I just remind you of yesterday. Places forgotten and friends passed away. But if you want me, please won't you say so I can diss you. And, and speaking of country twang, gravity toward the end has uh, has Jenny Lewis actually yodeling on the chorus, and some really fine. I, I, I won't say this all too often, but some really fine guitar work by uh, by Blake set it on 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 gravity. There are, it's not all strong. I really don't like Glendora, which uh, is kind of like the most '90s rockish uh, has the most '90s rockish affectations. Of anything here on the album, um, got a bit of a get a. I don't know. Feels very Liz Fairish in its attitude to me. Yeah. Uh, not not the sound, but the sort of the the lyrical approach. Yeah. I mean, there's that line which is you know like you know, uh, would you f me? I'd f myself. Which is uh, again maybe an adolescent sort of an approach to, to life and sexual. And also, it's like Glendora. I looked it up. It's like some sort of like far far exurb of Los Angeles mm-hmm. and like in like the northeast of the city and so it's like living in a nose nowheresville suburb heading into the city to degrade yourself i, I kind of like it more than you do i have to say it's new year's eve i'm in glendora i'm the only living person in glendora heading east on the freeway i left my progress on the bus stop into arte i switched the rules you take advantage you know i always like to play the victim and would you fuck me because i'd fuck me and my wet nap Freestyle walking. I cry, 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 then I complain. Come back for more. Do it again. I cry, 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 then I complain. Come back for more. Do it again. 
They would revisit and re-record for the very next album. I like it better here than actually I do on takeoffs and landings. A little play with synth pop. This is, uh, uh, again, I think a little bit of experimenting with some of the structure and and some of the writing. It's their very first effort. Uh, But all in all, I I think it's very strong. And uh, as I said, I I actually take this uh, whole effort, this whole EP, I I think it's better than the next full-length album that would come. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I, I oh, like. I totally disagree. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm on the same page as Helene here. I mean, takeoffs and landings. It's two years later, or maybe a year later. You know, like you know, it's a year and a half, something like that. Always, I liked it a lot on this record, and then I actually it took me a second to realize that it, that it was the same song on takeoffs and landings. And I have to say, Scott, I vastly prefer it on the. the first full-length album or the second album, whatever you want to characterize it as. album in general I, I i i like it a lot and i like the sound a lot you can still say it's, it's maybe more tentative than they would become you know from the execution of all things onwards by the way you know uh you know senate and uh, lewis are an item by the way at this point uh, lewis would kind of become famous for like you know sort of like dating all sorts of interesting like hollywood and music people and stuff like that uh but at this point they were still you know together uh they don't break up until the end of execution of all things uh, and, and this partnership actually works really well. It reminds me in some ways of, of a more kind of countrified version of a band called Low. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the band Low. Either of you know them? I don't I'm think not. so. 
Well, okay. Well, they're they're great. Love to do a show on them someday. I guess it'll be an education for you, Scott. Uh, they're slow core. They're from Minneapolis, uh, or actually, they're not from. I think they're even from northern Minnesota. But you know, they're slow core, which is to say that it's very gentle, and it doesn't usually like you know pick up the pace or move very quickly. It doesn't rock. So like you know, do I think of this as being too emo? No, I think it's slightly slow core. And these songs all have a clear structural framework to them. So like Jenny will sing, and the song plays through its changes and then the piece is almost always at least the, the big ones the best ones honestly end with like a guitar or an instrumental coda so you mean science versus romance wires and waves small figures in a vast expanse pictures of success they all have that same formula but it's a really successful formula i actually think that on this album the remake of always is the best song but i think most of these things are good and, and even where they take little weird left turns like throwing in surprise mariachi horns at the end of plane crash and see like that works I, I i am i am down for the mariachi horns i don't know why they came into the song but they work helene go ahead Oh, I was going to say, I, 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 lo- I love this album, um, Take Offs and Landings. I don't think it's as strong as some of the later albums, but you begin to see begin to see some of the real Rilo Kiley patterns emerge um, on on the album. Um, first, it's still, it's still linked to the old one. Jenny Lewis's voice is still a bit unsure. It's still a bit breathy. Um, so her voice is not as full, you know, as full and strong as it will become. But you start to pick up on, lyrically, it starts to pick up on the issues that are going to become thematic throughout, right? There's, it's definitely about growing up. It's definitely about death. There's constant references to death in this album. Crash sites keep me up at night. Um, is, um, and what of I, you know, and some of the great little couplets come in. Um, you know, in science versus romance, I used to think I, if I, I could realize if I could die, I would be a lot nicer, <laughs> which is just a great line. Um, and then in pictures of success, you know, it also, you know, it's the refrain is, is, you know, when you're dead, I mean, so you start to pick up on a more thematic maturity starting to creep in. Um, the other thing is, is you start picking up on the sense that this is going to be a group that's very much about California, which again, you could start seeing in the first demo a bit with stuff like Lindora, but this is much more becomes much more about them in L.A. base, which is, you know, mentions of Coldwater Canyon. Um, I think it, it literally the the opening is, you know, if you want to find yourself by traveling out west. Um, and it's sort of uh, in pictures of success. There's a great line. California is a recipe, recipe for, a for a black hole. hole. Yeah. Yes. Which is just a great also a great line if you're having a bad in a bad mood about California. <laughs> I'd like 
and it and it feels California. Like I I I will always say in like pictures of success, there's something both melodic and irritating about it, which often reminds me of a, of a Santa Ana wind a little bit, which is like the which is like the horrific breeze you get out here, which is like the first time you feel it, you'll be like, oh, this isn't so bad, and then within about 15 minutes, you're like, oh my god, I want to kill myself. Why is this so irritating? <laughs> And I, and I think there's a certain sound to that in pictures of success in particular. Um, so it's just sort of this wonderful album, but it still has the sort of do-it-yourself uh, sound um, of, the, of the demo a bit. It's still um, not, even though it's a professional release, it still sounds a little not professional, but it really starts showing why this is a band people should be paying a lot of attention to. Except, of course, a lot of us don't, right? <laughs> well, I think I think the other thing you have to point out is that this is where Lewis really becomes into her own as a lyricist. Now, I'm not an expert on Rilo Kylie, so if you guys are, you can correct me. But my assumption has always been that, except on the songs where Senate is singing lead vocal, and he he's, he doesn't have a very strong singing voice, to be frank. Um, but whenever Lewis is singing lead vocal, I assume it's a lyric she wrote herself. And, and and I also assume so because that same style of writing carries over into her solo career. So uh-huh. it seems pretty obvious that like, you know, those great little lines about like, you know, French films about trains that she's making fun of on pictures of success. That that's that's Jenny Lewis's observational sensibility. But Senate does contribute a lot to this music as well. I have to say, like, he's not a lead guitarist in any sense of the word, but he does have a real sense of taste and mm. decoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that When You're Dead chorus in Pictures of Success, there's those little, I don't know if it's a bottleneck slide or if it's a pedal steel guitar that just goes zoop up on the, you know, up onto the top of the neck every time she sings When You're Dead. And it's just like a beautiful little touch. And you're going to be hearing a lot more of that, particularly on the next album, the next two albums. Um, you know, it's not just all her. He is doing a lot of the sort of arranging and, you know, musical writing contributions to the band as well. Point out that uh, science versus romance is one that shouldn't be ignored. Uh, it, it's got again got you know, a big guitar freak out at the end. Nothing flashy, but just elemental and satisfying. And you know that's one of those songs that you just think to yourself, well, why wasn't I hearing more of this in 2001? And of course, the reason was is because I was just listening to Grateful Dead and Joy Division. That's why I didn't hear it. Romance, you go and call yourself the boss. 
What about you, Scott? I, I don't mean to say it's a bad album, certainly. I, I don't think that. Um, but uh, I would, I guess, disagree just slightly on the lyrics. I, I don't think that she's there yet. Uh, I think the next album, Execution of All Things, is where it really flourishes. And so I think that, that's still lacking a bit. Uh, and, and Jeff actually, in his explanation, gave me an, another good reason why I, I don't think it's quite as good as even the, uh, the EP that came before and certainly would come next is is kind of that template that the songs somewhat uh, follow one to another. Uh, I think that's uh, not a, a real strength of the album. But I would second Jeff's motion on Blake Sennett's strength as a guitarist. It's not as a soloist. It really is. And I'll mention, I have a bunch of notes, you know, as a uh, adding flourishes, adding this decoration, putting his touches here and there. He's actually very skilled at that. There are a number of songs that are better because of his contributions on guitar in those little places, uh, those little places where it matters most. Uh, I, I think my favorite song of the album, I don't think it's been mentioned yet, I, I think Wires and Waves is the best song on takeoffs and landings. I love that that push and pull of the music. There's a really nice shimmering guitar line from uh, from Senate there and a, and a dynamic finish and that that chorus you know sometimes planes they smash up in the sky and sometimes lonely hearts they just get lonelier uh, that will be a frequent lyrical motif that comes through over and over How did you Don't Deconstruct as well. Uh, Don't Deconstruct later on in the album is one that has a few horns on it. I think Jeff mentioned Plane Crash and Sea also. Just these horns come in and play. And there's a wonderful moment at the end of Don't Deconstruct it. I don't know if it's intentional or was scripted or not where these horns are sort of playing out and, and Jenny Lewis over just one little measure, I think, goes ba-ba-ba-ba just over the same uh, the same notes that, that the horn is playing. That makes me smile it's a fine uh fine point on the album but um yeah it's not bad i'm not saying it's bad i don't think it's as good as uh, as what would come next or or the one previously and i think really execution of all things is where rilo kindly becomes becomes what they are so to speak yeah i mean this is you know i'll just cue it up for for helene without stealing you know most of her thunder but i'll just say this is the album where you're right everything comes together not only sonically but lyrically uh, i'll just start with one song there's a song on this record which is so clearly painfully autobiographical that you know shows that jenny lewis has become a truly devastating songwriter and that's called a better son slash daughter and she's, she's clearly writing about her experience with her mom 
And she's like, sometimes in the morning, I'm petrified, I can't move, I'm awake, but I can't open my eyes. And what is she talking about? Like, you know, oh, your mother's still calling you, insane and high, she's swearing it's different this time, which is a lyric that would have made no sense to me without the lyric from Rabbit Fur Coat, where she mm-hmm. talks about how her mom's gone off, and she's still putting all that stuff up her nose. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, without being told anything else, there are clearly some drug issues involved in that family. Um, and it's such a naked lyric. With, you know, sometimes when you're on, you're really effing on. And your friends, they sing along and they love you, but the lows still are so extreme that the good times seem effing cheap. And that is just, uh, you know, true confessional songwriting. And- First time they really put it together on this album. I think almost all of this album is good. Maybe I don't need some of the instrumental stuff, but other than that, this is a great record. Hey, real quick, right, before I, mean, I would say one thing that goes on here is this is the album they do with um, with with Saddle Creek in Omaha, right? You know, the the last album is you know is is recorded in Seattle and released by Saddle Creek. This one is the is Conor O'Brien scene up in Saddle and in, in Omaha and Saddle Creek, and I think it becomes it gives it a sort of professional veneer that the first two albums lack. Um, and I think that's an important part of the story here that shouldn't be forgotten. But second, A Better Son Daughter is just a flat out terrific song. And again, it's one of those songs that you hear and you're like, how did I miss this in real time again? Like, how could this have possibly happened? Um, but it is, you know, again, it, is, it starts about her mother. Uh, I mean, not starts, you know, where she's in bed waiting and then she hears her mother. And then, you know, it's about getting up and basically getting on with your life in a way. Um, my millennial women take this song as a massive anthem. I mean, if you're and I gather if you were a teenager when it came out, this song like spoke to you. And I, I've had this confirmed to me by many women. This song spoke to you on a very deep personal level, because, of course, you probably would have been hearing your mother, maybe not high necessarily, <laughs> but you would have been hearing your mom. But I mean, it's just an extraordinary song and it's extraordinary in how it starts and how it sort of picks up and her voice and Jenny Lewis really starts to come into her voice on this album, which is another thing that just gives it such strength is where she just starts, you know, hitting it home with the lyrics and her voice. And they somehow, and they start to merge together in a way that takes this to a whole other level. 
I like what you said about the production also sounding more assured. I mean, right off the bat with the good that won't come out, the first song, you have that sort of dreamy synth beat. And then you have Jenny Lewis singing through that, that, that vocal filter that sounds like, like an old telephone landline, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Then there's pedal steel guitar for a country tinge. I don't know what it is. Is this country folk pop or is this folk country pop? I don't know. <laughs> but their ambition clearly seems to be increasing right off the bat, right off the first song on this album. And, you know, that sort of sets the tone for the entire thing. Son, daughter. There's a, I don't know, it's an unusual choice, but it's sort of set to this this marching beat, right? And um, I think once you understand what it's what it relates to lyrically, um, you know, being depression or bipolar and sort of getting through the tough days and managing the the high high days, uh, that marching beat, at least to me, makes more sense. You're 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 just you're moving forward. Onward, chugging along, yeah. Pushing through the good, pushing through the bad. It's just always forward, always onward. And that made a lot more sense to me once to sort of understand what that song's about. Jenny Lewis is very careful about what she gives us, uh, the listeners, from a biographical standpoint. Uh, because not, not all of her not all these songs are are biographical, and not all of them that that perhaps appear to be about her life are about her life. And yet there are moments and there are songs that are clearly about her life. <laughs> Rapid Fur Coat, as you guys mentioned, Better Son, Daughter, certainly, and, and there are more to come. And and that's when you really feel um, her, her sort of opening and giving you a picture into things that are very uh, personal and precious to her. And that's where Better Son and, and Daughter comes in. Uh, yeah, lyrically, man, I, I do think it's it's better um, than than the last album. I think she's really figuring things out. In terms of how she wants to present these songs, uh, there's all. And speaking of being personal, you know, there's there's this there's this song that is scattered across the end of three or four other songs on this album, uh, and it's called "And That's How I Remember It," which is essentially Jenny Lewis telling us about more about her childhood, more about her parents' divorce. These themes that will pop up in songs all over the place on future albums and future songs, and so that's sort of that's sort of scattered across. Uh, the ends of a few songs on on this album, I uh, uh, you know early on there's uh, a back to back paints peeling and the execution of all things. Um, those oh, are, those are two great songs, really good. And the title track I think is my favorite on the album. I, I really love that melody that she sings so beautifully on the execution of all things. Oh God, come quickly! The execution of all things. Let's start with the bears in the air and 
think that's my favorite song on the album. Paints Peeling is also really excellent and about as aggressive uh, as you'll hear them on record late in the song. Uh, really powerful playing musically uh, on Paints Peeling. Uh, one late that I'll mention just very briefly is Hail to Whatever You Found in the Sunlight That Surrounds You. Great nervous energy and rhythm to that song. And this is, again, one where uh, Blake Sennett, again, is no, no one's going to mistake him for a master of the, of the solo, but this very careful acoustic guitar picking on, on Hale that I really like a lot. That's one where he, what he adds is clear, and what he adds clearly improves the song. It's always interesting to try to parse out uh, which of these songs are autobiographical and which of these are character writing, right? As Lewis herself has said, I read an interview with her, with her, where she said, like, you know, it sometimes feels like it's a cheat to just write about my unhappy childhood, right? You just can't keep going back to that well all the time. So sometimes she says, well, I feel tempted to just head in the opposite direction. But then I hear a song like Paints Peeling, which just has such a beautiful chorus. I just, it's, it's, it's close to the best song on the album. I'm not sure if it is. It's up there. Where she says, like, I'm not going back to the app that made me the perfect display of random acts of hopelessness. Now, that's a line, when I say it out loud, it sounds very writerly. And in fact, I've heard that as a criticism. I've been doing my research, and people say, like, well, you know, sometimes her lyrics read like blocks of text as opposed to, like, you know, <laughs> poetry composed, right? But it, it works. The way it's sung, the way it's brought off musically, it works.
other thing is that I, this puts me in mind of an album that was released about two, three years later. Again, I don't know if either of you have heard of it. I don't know if you guys know Andrew Bird. He's a yes. Chicago. Yes. Uh, his best album, in my opinion, is called Armchair Apocrypha. Bird is a you know violinist by trade, but he can also whistle like a songbird. He can <laughs> he can play guitar. He can sing. He does everything. And in fact, if you've seen him in concert, he'll do all of them simultaneously. Yeah, it's like fun. One man. It's really fun. He's a one man <laughs> band. I get a lot of Armchair Apocrypha vibes out of a song like Execution of All Things or Capturing Moods. You know, I says the only thing that's missing is the whistling. Is what I wrote in my notes, and that's a great thing. That's a great comparison because heretics is rather heretics is a song on armchair apocrypha but that's an album that i would like you to compare yourself to because i think it's one of the best albums of the decade and that's really what this is these these are just very beautiful very well constructed and well composed songs uh, the only thing really that ever falls flat for me is um the ending of so long where it has that stupid merry-go-round music coda at the end of it that that's a bit too twee even for me uh but geez there are songs here that i haven't even mentioned yet like with arms outstretched i was a- going to mention that well then you you, I, I you take it the, okay i i am not going to be able to talk about this probably as intelligently as you musically but i madly passionately love the song and it might be because i once saw her do it in concert in an amazing way but it is just a really wonderful song that somehow both combines the sort of happiness and sadness of Jenny Lewis. I, I can't quite put it, put it another way uh, with a bit of the nostalgia you pick up when you, when you're listening to them. And um, it, it's just, it, it's just a really terrific song of, of wanting and asking for what you want and knowing that it might not work out anyway. Now it's 16. To the promised land And I promise you I'm doing the best I can Now some days They last longer than others But this day by the way I mean, I just said it. It, it, it's a, it's a magnificent song on an album that I really don't think has many, if any, flaws. But it does feel the whole album, as, as, as taken in its entirety, feels like a warm up for what comes next. And you know, I'll lay my cards on the table. I'm the noob here, so <laughs> I, my opinion matters the least of all of us. But more adventurous from 2004. I literally, my notes as I was listening to it, I just wrote, whoa, Nelly, um, because this is the album where it's just obvious that they've come in into their own. Uh, there's nothing lightweight about it at all. Every song is a major song. Um, the first three tracks in a row are just like, you know, shots to the head. Every single one of them is massive in its own way. And 
um, I actually, uh, I, w- I will not be greedy. You guys talk about this one first. I'll just say that, yes, this to me is clearly the best Rilo Kylie album. I, I actually agree with you. I, I This is a saw, an album where there's barely a miss. But the, I mean, I would say, and this is where you start getting into the Rilo Kylie, what is your mood this day that you really like what song? <laughs> I mean, but... Does he love you? Portions for foxes, um, uh, you know, more adventurous. I never. The absence of God. Uh, a man, me, the Jim. I, I mean, these are just all extraordinary, extraordinary songs, and you don't even know where to start. I think one of you was reminding me that, or some, no, somebody online reminded us that yesterday. That like Elvis Costello worships, does he love you? Which made me feel a lot better because I've always like felt like in some ways liking that song as much as I do, like it reflects a weakness for absolute <laughs> melodrama. That, you know, it's like a lifetime movie meets, you know, single white female or something. <laughs> and um, but it's just an extraordinary melodic song with like this the most ga- you know, these ghastly twists at the end. And I think he loves me. Don't see it coming that's the thing like I, I i listened to that song and it's like okay this is about two friends that have grown apart and she's wistful oh the other friend moved across the country got married had a kid what a nice life she has that's what i thought the song was gonna be right and then like i i, I, well, I hate to say spoiler alert because we're talking about songs but it's clear that she's stolen that guy back away from her you know, like the, the the line that she says is like, "Oh, like you, you'd always." She was she's singing to her female friend, her BFF, who's moved away. She's like, now it was good for you to get away from here. What did you always say? You'd all you, you'd always feel flawed if you were free, you know. Mm-hmm. And, if you and, aren't free, right? If you aren't free, and, and at the beginning of the song, she also just throws out this line that doesn't register until you go back and listen to it again where it's like you know somebody comes to my place and they send me letters two times a week they talk about how they're going to come out to california to see me and then at the end as i said it it takes that spiral into the abyss where like you know lewis's voice just goes up to a 10 and boy this is how you know she's really found her her instrument with this the way she sings this she's like oh like oh you know you confessed to me that you only married him because you felt like she, basically you you thought you were settling. You thought you were getting too old, too late. So you married him, but now you've actually fallen in love, and now you have a baby that's come into the world, and you really love him. But you found him on the phone talking to that girl 
who's in California saying, I'm going to come to California. I really love you. I'm going to leave her. And you realize that the guy is talking to the narrator. And that is just like, and I was like, oh, I, and what is the last line? It's like, I'll never steal your husband away from you. Right. You can still keep him, right? But Oh, it's so dark. It's so dark. Late at night, I get the phone. You're at the shop. Sobbing all alone. Your confession, it's coming out You only married him, you felt your time was running out But now you love him and your baby Yes, you are complete But he's distant and you found him on the phone things in here it's beyond dark right where it's you know this just complete twist of the knife where you also are like what happened exactly between these friends because like at a certain point in the song you realize that like this was a pretty intense relationship between these two women too yeah like the way she says the way she says like oh it was good of you to leave leave, it's almost right like Like, what exactly happened here right yeah that was bitter And there's also one of the lines that I just think is like one of the great, you know, sort of insults of, um, you know, of, um, of, of, I'm sorry, stumbling for a second. Millennials. Of, um, of Gen X, which is, you know, where, you know, which is makes so much fun of the affectations of the generation where she says you share a place by the park and run a shop for antiques downtown, <laughs> which is just like. Like was a fantasy of the time for those of you too young to remember. Just trust me. This was like exactly what you were supposed to do. I knew people who ran antique shops. I <laughs> notice I say people, not person. Um, I mean, this is, it, and it's of course it's going to blow up on her. And I mean, the whole song is just brilliant and mesmerizing, and you just get drawn into it. Um, I, I and I go back to it all the time. Um, the la- and it's the music that does it too. There's those layers of guitar. Senate has, throws in all yes. those extra guitar lines yes, yes. in the final chorus, and then the strings, mm-hmm. and and, and it, again, you just it swirls into blackness by the end of the whole thing. I love it. Right, and then like the companion song is "A Man, Me, Then Jim," which I've also o- always wondered, probably wrongly, is one of these people in this song again, like ten years later, right? <laughs> Because it seems to have certain similarities, again, of people having affairs with married men and things going, you know, lives not working out and things going terribly, terribly wrong. It's another one of these dark songs. And it it's told in back. In this case, it's told from the back 
uh, again, spoiler alert on a song, I guess, right? Uh, you know, starting with somebody's suicide and beginning with somebody's marriage imploding over an affair, basically. An affair, by the way, where the woman kicks him out. And it, it's just another one of the most astonishing songs. And, you know, one of the refrains, there's, you know, several refrains in it over and over again that, um, you know, uh, you know, living is the problem. I mean, you know, if living is the problem, that's just baffling. Um, I'm sorry I'm hard to live with. Living is the problem for me. I mean, these these repetitive over and over again um, obsessions start cropping up. I mean, it's just a fantastic song also. I'm sorry I'm hard to live with. Living is the problem for me. I'm selling people things they don't want when I don't know what you need. He said the slow fade love, and it's missed my choke you. It's my gradual descent into a life I never meant. It's the slow fade of love. I, I've heard the critique that "Does He Love You" is a bit melodramatic and over the top, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't buy that criticism. I think that's it's it's really a perfect piece of, of of songwriting with you know leaving those clues here and there, as Jeff mentioned. You go back and listen again or read the lyrics again, and and, and things fall into place. And, and uh, so it I, also doesn't feel melodramatic because it feels like it, the way at least it's sung, even if it's character writing, it feels like it comes from a place of deep rage. Mm. Like it, melodrama is, is right. Cheap. Not to interrupt, I would say like melodrama on acid is how I would put it. Like, but but, but, the, but the singer seems like she is genuine, almost like she's doing this out of revenge. Mm. Like she, you know, this this girl, this friend of hers broke her heart by leaving and almost like isn't it fitting that now you're losing the one that you love too like eek as I said just a horribly dark thought but it skirts melodrama because the way Jenny Lewis sings that song just has just such a torrent of rage coming out of it by the end this yeah. more adventurous it actually, I know Jeff likes "It's a Hit," which is the first song of the album. I, I anti-Bush song. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> I, I don't love "It's a Hit." It sort of clanks off my ears uh, lyrically in a few ways. Uh, and, you don't like the shoebop, shoebop stuff, and the holiday for a hanging. Yeah. 
think it's I, I, I'm, I'm i'm with you i think it's okay but nothing extraordinary um i mean the the songs on this album that are extraordinary portions for foxes which is you know just the, the way it opens you know with the with the music coming at you right away and that great opening you know line there's blood in my mouth because i've been biting my tongue all week <laughs> i mean the song is a plunge into cold water and um it's just again one of just the standouts Again, that's a fantastic track. The, t- the talking leads to touching, the touching leads to sex, and then there is no mystery left. And, and the way she describes this love throughout, you know, your damage control for a walking corpse like me, you know, bad news, bad news. And then, of course, at the end, the, t- the, the twist or the reveal is, you know, you're bad news, but I don't care. I like you. Love you anyway. <laughs> Love you anyway. <laughs> right. I, I'm not going to break up. I'm not going to kick you out of my life. Uh, yeah. Por- portions for foxes. Uh, was the single, and I, I just will admit for a long time, because I, my eyes would just scan over it, I thought that it was Potions for Foxes, which is a little more <laughs> mysterious, I guess. Uh, but uh, but that's a great song. And then Ripcord, which is probably one of Blake said its best songs uh, that he wrote and, 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 and sang for Rilo Kiley. There's two songs on this record that are direct uh, reactions to the suicide of Elliot Smith, who both uh, mm-hmm. said it and, and Jenny Lewis really loved and Ripcord is set. It's it's a, it's a nice, simple uh, tribute. And then the last, I think it's the last song of the album. It, it just is is Jenny Lewis's piece on Elliot Smith, and uh, that one's got some fabulous lines. Uh, this, this loss isn't good enough for sorrow or inspiration. It's it's such a loss for the good guys. And I think Helene, you had mentioned the last album was full of death, and there's a lot of death on More Adventurous what? too uh, through those two songs and. Uh, uh, well, there's one called Accidental Death as well. Um, on the flip side, though, you get something like More Adventurous, which is just, it's a romantic, pretty song. Sweet music. It's kind of folky melody. There's harmonica in there. It's really a song about love without marriage and being okay with that. You know, love's enough uh, is essentially the, the theme of More Adventurous. And right at the very start, right, with every broken heart, we should become more adventurous. Uh, that's a real highlight on this album for me as well. I felt the wind on my cheek Coming down from the east And thought about how we are all As numerous as leaves on trees And maybe ours is the cause Of all mankind Get loved, make more Try to stay alive I've been trying to knock my head But it's like I've got a brokenness Wanting to say I will 
I like I Never, which is a workout vocally for Jenny Lewis. You can do that thing you do for Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. How many times does, does uh, you say, I know, I know, I know. How many times does Jenny Lewis or, say? Or, or when she hits the whole, all the good, and bad, that carry holding that note for like what feels like 30 seconds. That's how you know she's how, how much she's grown as a singer. And it does, you know, I said that song almost feels like a Dolly Parton song. And I mean, that is the highest mm-hmm. possible compliment i can pay to it and then of course it turns into like a, a like a like a soul rock song right. at the end with the guitar coda yep and she holds that on on uh, i too uh, that i note in the middle of i never as well as the music drops out um i really like her delivery there on, on that one as well uh you know overall, I, I should say good. there that song is so intense there is a r- persistent rumor that she recorded it undressed and uh, that has never gone away over that, but I never. Seems like the kind of thing she'd do. I mean, he can't, he can't know for sure. <laughs> it, it seems like the kind of rumor she would actually spread about it on purpose, in fact, which is even funnier because she's, you know, builds the mystique, right? I'm only a things i want to say first of all one song that never gets talked about that i actually you know because i came to this all fresh i really love is love and war now the lyric i think is a bit confused i'm not quite sure what it's about trying to conflate love and war and love and all is fair in both and all of that this seems like there are two separate completely separate lyrical ideas here that don't quite gel but i don't care because the music is just so (laughs) great it's a great rock song both the verse and the chorus melodically are glorious
other thing I want to point out, and you know, just to go back for a second to uh, portions for foxes, uh, yeah, I'll tell you one of the things. You know, you know, Lewis gets all the focus, but you really don't want to underestimate what Blake Sennett contributes because I have to say his guitar decoration on that is perfect. On that line that you quoted, Scott, you know, the talking leads to touching, and the touching leads to sex. His guitar decoration, the filigrees that he plays on that, actually like feel. They sound like fingers that are just teasingly running up and down your sides, mm-hmm. and it sounds like like you know, like feather light touches and it's sound painting that works so perfectly with the song but yeah i i um you know i will uh, leave off for that geez i didn't even mention the absence of god which is a great song we could be daytime drunks if we wanted we never get anything <laughs> done that way baby and we'd still be ruled by our dueling perspectives and then she says and i'm not my perspective because why because the lies i'll tell you every time so basically she's saying like you know even when we're fighting i'm counterfeiting myself it's very clever song that like you know there are just mirrors reflecting mirrors reflecting mirrors of sort of you know self-crafted identity that hide within that song great piece um but then again uh i can talk far too often about these things and far too much scott you have anything more you want to say uh, no not about uh, more adventurous though i think uh i think all three are in, uh, of us are in agreement that it's the high point of uh, rilo kiley's career yeah, and this is where we uh, get, and I'm not sure why this happened. Um, uh, Janie Lewis records her first solo album. Did you say, Scott, that, that Blake Sennett had yeah. actually recorded a solo album himself as he, well, and that's why it happened? He did, and, and I, I can't tell you I've heard it. I can't even tell you I've heard it once, probably. But uh, Connor Oberst from uh, from Bright Eyes, uh, Silver Creek, had had essentially convinced Jenny Lewis to record a, a solo album. You should do it. You should do it yourself. You should write your songs to a solo album. And she was actually, at least in, in the stories I've read, very hesitant about doing that because she thought of herself as a, as a part of this band, uh, Rilo Kiley. And I guess Blake Sennett did a solo album, and then there was a little bit more motivation for Jenny Lewis to say, well, if you can do it on your own, then, well, I can do it on my own, too. And that's where we get Rabbit Fur Coat. And I, in our initial emails to each other as we cover, uh, as we prep for the show, I had mentioned one thing that, uh, not that it's frustrating, but I, I couldn't say for certain that there's one album that we're covering today as like the five-star grand slam clear best effort of Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis. It's just like an out of the park, uh, flawless masterpiece. And Helene pushed back and said, yeah, it's rapid for a coat. And of course I listened again and again, leading up to the, uh, to, to this recording. And she might be right. I mean, she, she might be right. Uh, Helene, take, take, take us through rabbit for a coat. This, uh, Jenny Lewis album with, the Watson twins, very important uh, part of Rabbit Fur Coat. The Rabbit Fur Coat is the, is the Jenny Lewis solo effort, and it is with the Watson twins, who are, are they from Kentucky? Am I remembering this right? Um, All I know they, is that they, on, the, on the cover of the album, they right. look like those like yes, grown-up versions of those two girls from The Shining. Yes, right, exactly. exactly. And play with they, us I, I think it's just deliberate, right? <laughs> and um, they were performing in Silver Lake, and at some point, Jenny Lewis meets them. And um, when... When she's asked to do this album, she unites with them, and it's it's just it's an astonishing album. She has said the model is um, Laura Nero's and Labelle's um, 1971 collection, "Gonna Take a Miracle," 
Um, you know, other people have speculated Jody Mitchell's Blue. I, I mean, it's it's just an astonishing album. It opens up very much. The first song is um, Run Devil Run. Which is very much you could you, know, you could the, you could think you walked into the, the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Yeah, it's into straight, the what it's soundtrack? Straight. I'm sorry, I missed you. Oh, oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah, yes. it's, straight, it's Southern Gospel. Right, but it's also actually if you listen to Gotta Take a Miracle, it's also. God, the first song I got to take a miracle is also, I believe, an acapella song. Right. Um, I think it's I, I met him on a Sunday and Run Devil Run is also opens with acapella. So you you start to pick up on little, little themes in there. But it is also just, you know, it is a gospel song, not, you know, a brill, um, a, a brill building song. Right. Run, devil, run, devil. It just goes from there and it just um, it, it gets better and better. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there is not a bad cut on this album. And I would joke and say, you know, while I will always say Rabbit Fur Coat will probably be one of my you know top songs of hers of all time. You know, there are other songs on this album. I just, you know worship um there's happy which you know is you know just about how we all want to be happy and we never are there's um the anthem rise up with fists which is just you know wonderful about aging considering that she's only 30 when she does this it's kind of really amazing <laughs> um you and know we all feel very old yeah, it wasn't you know, it wasn't me, which is also a very subversive, quiet humor, you know, song it's about great. child actor days. That's somewhat. that's one that uh, that that jumped out at me upon uh, this particular listen to the album. It wasn't me is one that really really jumped out. I have to stop and before I keep going and ask you why it jumped out at you on this go round. I think I think it's just lyrically one that I, I had. You know, it's right at the end of the album, and sometimes I don't get to the end of the album depending on where I'm driving or what I'm doing. And I think specifically lyrically, it's one that I finally that finally clicked with me. Sort of not quite disowning her past, but uh, but saying she's definitely a different person now. Right? Uh, it doesn't it doesn't count because I don't care. The years transform the memories of all the countless decades of greed. Cut and run in '91. There's a, there's a lot here and on future albums of, of her and her family and how she was essentially the you know the breadwinner for mm-hmm. her the hundred thousand dollar kid. As yes. she says on Rabbit for a Coat. Correct. Right. Um, and and then, know, and then at the very end, Helene, sorry, it's, you know, someone just whispers, "Say good night, Jenny." And I don't know, right. how, I don't know if I'd noticed that previously. It wasn't me. I wasn't there. That was not my love affair. That is not my lover, that's not even my friend It wasn't me, I wasn't there I was stone drunk, it isn't clear And it doesn't count, cause I don't care But I'll use a pop song to clear my Bridges of fame, it's always nighttime. 
Well, it's and it's very even as she's sort of disowning the theatricality, she's embracing the theatricality. So right. it is almost a perfect song. Um, one song I love on there, even though I admit it's probably a slightly minor one, is uh, "You Are What You Love." It is not that's, minor. That's not minor it's at all. Minor. Are you kidding me? I think okay, all three of us. Okay. I so personally love it. I always assume it's minor. It that's a master. That's a masterpiece. I have become that, that's one of the best lyrics she ever wrote. Yeah, I'm convinced it's sort of. Last night, I actually started playing Jody Mitchell's Carrie, and I'm actually convinced there's a lot of similarities between the two. The sort of rollicking beat of a relationship that's kind of probably ending, but we're going to do another round on this one. Um, but it's it's just it's just a really wonderful wonderful song with the end where you know I'm in love with illusions, so saw me in half. I'm in love with tricks, so pull another rabbit out of your hat. Um, also, the great line um, about, you know, interior lives and how people often don't do what they want to do. Um, you know, I'm fraudulent, a thief at best, a coward who paints a bullshit canvas of things that will never happen to me. I mean, that is just an absurdly brilliant um, little lyric there. But the way she finishes that line is even better. But at arm's length. It's right. Tim, who's the character in this song. Mm. I don't know if Tim's a real person. said, I'm good at it. I've mastered it, avoiding, avoiding everything. It's such a laceratingly real mm-hmm. portrait of a personality. That doesn't sound like, you know, somebody sat down, I'm going to write a song about, you know, a damaged relationship. That sounds like, even if it isn't strictly autobiographical, it has to be, you're, she's painting from memory because there's something about the way those words come off that that is clearly you're plumbing your own emotional reservoirs to get that kind of, I guess, sort of perfect observational sensibility out of that. You know, the, 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 the opening line actually yes. is which, is which just echoes as, the closing line. Right. You know, you know, there's no great illusion when I'm with you. I'm looking for a ghost. Or invisible reasons to fall out of love and just run screaming from our home. I'm fraudulent, a thief at best, a coward who paints a bullshit canvas. Things that will never happen to me. But at arm's length, it's Tim who said, I'm good at it, I've mastered it, avoiding, avoiding everything. But you are what you Yeah, so I did that. As I say, I, I, I'm laughing, Helene, that you thought like we would think that's a minor song. I was like, <laughs> well, Hell the reason no. I said I think it's a minor song is when you read all the critics, they barely mention it, or if they yeah, well, do, what? they claim it's a minor song. Well, I what the hell do they know? It is, but, but that's one of the issues with this album, and then we'll come to Rabbit for Code, is this album was relentlessly underestimated. If you go back and look at what the critics said at the time, they were like, not as good as Rilo Kylie. What is she doing? I, I mean, Pitchfork, which admittedly always had issues with both Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis, mm-hmm. didn't like it at all. I, I mean, you know, the lyrics, I forget one critic, I forget if it was Pitchfork or somewhere else, like just said, you know, lyrically, this is like juvenile. I, I, I mean, it's... Are you telling me that I... Pitchfork Media wrote a bad review? <laughs> you, you say, you're saying that the geniuses of Pitchfork got it wrong? I no. know, I know. But they really have something about Rilo Kiley and Jenny Lewis. Only very recent, like, like when you see a decent mm-hmm. write-up. I mean, it's... 
Now they have to reevaluate because time has told the tale. Right. It's it's really astonishing. They really seem to have some personal grievance. I mean, it was really. It I'll just, bet you. I'll it, bet you. I'll bet you they did. I'll bet you like they were denied like you know you know front row tickets for a show at some point, and they just said <laughs> screw this band. We're gonna slag them off every time they release a new record. But you know, but a lot of critics really underestimated uh, this album. Uh, one of my friends claims it's because you know it it has such a quiet, subversive, like both anger and sense of humor that like a lot of male critics were actually threatened by it. Um, I don't know that that's true, but it's as good a working theory as I've ever heard because it is such a great album that you're kind of like, how could anybody have missed this? I mean, when I went backwards, this was the album I immediately seized on. I was like, this, this is just a brilliant, brilliant album. Which brings us to Rabbit Fur Coat, which is the name of the album and the title song. And it's very clearly autobiographical. I think she admits it's autobiographical. It has to be autobiographical, at least in part. And it is, you know, very simple, just very simple guitar picking, the music. And it just lets the story unfurl. And it's sort of about everything from... You know, women and their relationship to money, women and their relationship to other women, women and their relationship to their friends, women and Jenny Lewis's how she ends up supporting her mother and all the money gets lost somehow, which she's never been very clear about how it happened. And it's just, you know, just this sort of song where, again, it's one of these songs that just sort of unspools slowly but surely and you're wondering how how can this end? How will this end? And again, it's one of the songs also where, spoiler alert, um, you know, it basically nods to the next Rilo Kylie album. You know, it, it ends in a way you wouldn't expect at all. I mean, Jenny Lewis has actually learned how to take care of herself is the way it ends. But the way it opens with, you know, her mother trying to seek money and failing and the rabbit fur coat standing for everything she wanted and couldn't have. And then, you know, it all falling apart, um, basically selling herself to a guy for this rabbit fur coat. And then, you know, relying on her daughter to um, support her is just, um, you know, just becomes, you know, this incredible story. Um, And that's, of course, Jenny Lewis's mother, if I was not clear. Yeah. I actually think that the way it ends is a little... A little different i take it to mean that she's going to end up in some ways making the same sort of you know hip sellout or hypocrisies as her mother i've she's wondered like, about that too like, she's just like mostly what, the what, answer what, is actually probably both right she's right. just mostly i'm a hypocrite right i sing right. songs about the deficit which by the way jenny lewis doesn't Does sing not. songs no. about the deficit <laughs> i think that i think she was definitely struggling for a rhyme there okay fine but which is when i sell out and i leave omaha what will i get it's the same thing that her mom always wanted, a mansion house and a rabbit fur coat. And it's almost like in some ways, maybe not exactly the same way, but that cycle is just going to keep repeating. And that's, that's, that's again, you, you say the twist. A lot of the great Jenny Lewis lyrics have like a little twist at the end. It isn't, it's not like an O. Henry twist or like a, an M. Night Shyamalan, like, oh, he was dead all along kind of stuff. 
but it is something that completely recontextualizes the rest of the song for you and i think actually humanizes the song for you this could so easily just be like oh you know my mom you know was kind of pathetic frankly you know she she desperately wanted to be rich she got addicted to drugs she gave away all of our stuff she wasted her money blah 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 but then she says like you know what i I, I'm just as easily in danger of going the same direction, mm-hmm. and and that might happen. We don't even know yet. Where my mom is now, I don't know. She was living in her car, I was living on the road, and I hear she's putting that stuff up her nose and still wearing that. songs about the deficit but when i sell out and leave omaha what will i get a mansion house and a rabbit fur coat it's just an extraordinary song i think the thing about jenny lewis and, you know, on one hand, you know, we, when we were talking about Maddox Pixie Dream Girls at the beginning a little bit, she kind of looks a bit like a Maddox Pixie Dream Girl, right? And in some ways, she's like the dark version of a Maddox Pixie Dream Girl. But she isn't because... She's the Manic Depressive to Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> thank you. I've been talking too much, and I get nervous no. when I'm on the air, people, so don't think I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Is, is that... Um, you know, she has kind of the courage of her dark convictions. I think a lot of times when people pl- play in music or in writing with these dark themes, at the last minute, they're like, ha, 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 no, I didn't mean it. And I can't think of an example offhand, unfortunately, but there's probably a gazillion of them that will come to mind to everybody who's listening. But like in a The Rolling Rilo- Stones and almost all of their songs. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like in a Rilo Kiley or Jenny Lewis song, no, it really does get that dark. It just goes to like the place you can't imagine and it's not very good i mean it's life affirming in a way but it's not like anything resembling a happy ending whatsoever scott rabbit fur coat i came to as i mentioned first in uh, um in in my introduction and uh, it's never really left me i've really kept it close through the years very frequent listens and uh Man, vocally, it's just about flawless. Um, you know, Rabbit Fur Coat is not a loud album. Um, her, her voice, Jenny Lewis's voice, is not competing with those with electric guitars in a lot of places. It really has room to shine and show off a bit. And then, of course, you add in the Watson Twins and their harmonies and, and their additions. It's really beautiful. I mean, Rise Up With Fists uh, vocally is just pristine. I, I, I really, I still, what, 15 years later... I still get chills uh, when, when I listen to Rise Up With The Fist. Those, those vocal harmonies are just perfection, perfection. Uh, that's a fantastic song. We, we had mentioned you know, a lot of death on previous albums. If there's a theme that runs through here, it's probably God and faith and religion or lack thereof. Uh, you've got this, the, the song, of course, Born Secular. And then, and then lyrically, uh, I think uh, what, the big guns, I've won millions at the track, but I'm not betting on the afterlife. Uh, Rise Up With Fists, uh, There But For The Grace Of God Go I. The Charging Sky has a few nods in this direction. It's, it's, it's actually a good line. It's not that I believe in your almighty, but I might as well as insurance or bail. Um, 
those are both great songs too. I love the he big guns. He did Pascal's wager in musical right. form. Right. I don't know if you know. He Pascal, Blaise Pascal said, "Listen, like you know what? Even if you don't believe in God, you should just believe in God because hey, hedge. if he t- if it turns out that he exists, you want to be on his good side." If I run uphill, I'm out of breath. If I spend all of my money, then I've got no money left. If I place all of my chips on only one bet, I'm all. And it's a surefire bet I'm gonna die So I'm taking up praying on Sunday nights And it's not that I believe in your alibi But I might as well As insurance or faith Cause institutions like a big bright light And it blinds you into fearing, consuming and fighting But in the desert underneath the charge It's just you and God But what if God's not there But his name is on your dollar bill Which just became cafe Uh, The Charging Sky is is one of the fun songs on the album, the funner songs on the album. Some really sweet guitar work and ends with this really great slide solo. Uh, Charging Sky is one that uh, that is near the top of, uh, of this album for me. Uh, big guns, which essentially is, is is kind of a continuation of Run Double Run. They 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 go into each other. Just again, beautiful harmonies, beautiful energy. Uh, we already talked about "You Are What We Love," which is is uh, just one of her best songs overall, lyrically, musically, fantastic. Um, the one thing, and I'll just mention that 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 brings it down a bit is that cover of "Handle with Care," that that great traveling Wilbury song. Do a cover here, and, and Connor Oberst takes a, a part. And Jay Why do Lewis you guys both part. hate this song I, so much? I don't hate it at all. I like it fine. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think it's a perfectly cromulent cover. I, what I would, what I would say is, when I remember when I first heard it as part of the album, I was like, "This is okay," but I think part of it is this, the 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 brilliance of Rapid for Code is like you almost don't want another voice in there, right? Hmm. And Handled with Care is obviously another voice. It's not a Jenny Lewis song. But it actually holds the cover holds up incredibly, incredibly well. And um, I mean, you know, Ben Gibbard of, of Death Cab for Cuties on mm, there. Mm-hmm. Connor Oberst is on there. I mean, it's a terrific cover of that song. And I have to say, it's really grown on me over the years. I mean, it's a perfect I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a perfect album. So, so, so Scott, Scott, tell us why you think it's trash. Yeah, I, I don't think it's trash, but I've really tried. I've really tried because, I, again, I've listened to the album a ton of times, and I, it's something about it. I, I think it's partially. I was, try, I was trying to think about it this morning to put a finer point out. I think it's partially the the tempo, which is which is sped a bit. I think it's partially there's a there's a little bit more cheeriness to it than I that I maybe think it should have. Um, it's not like they they sing it terribly or anything like that, and they don't really they don't really mess with it, right? It's not like they've taken a song and desecrated it in any way, shape, or form. There's just something about it, and maybe it's the tempo, maybe it's the the mood that just never connected to me. Everybody got somebody to lean on. Put your body next to mine.
Introduce us to the big disappointment in the Jenny Lewis discography, because that's what I consider under the black light to be. So, Rabbit for Coach 2006, and uh, it's, it's a solo album, clearly. But they had not, you know, announced that Rilo Kiley had broken up, or or that they weren't wouldn't be continuing in any way, shape, or form. And so, uh, what you get one year later in 2007 is this release, which uh, which I bought. I bought when it came out, and again, there are some some things here I like an awful lot. But many takes Jeff uh, take Jeff's position, which is under the black light is a pretty massive disappointment. Not just considering it comes on the heels of Rabbit Fur Coat, but also that it comes on the heels of More Adventurous, which we all agree is the best Rilo Kylie album. Under the black light is a is a major major label. I think Warner Brothers, and so there are considerations perhaps for album sales for finding singles uh if those were considerations i think clearly they show up on under the black light this is an album that is very sh- it's it's very shined it's it's very uh streamlined uh things things are i, I wrote down it's, it's kind of a precious particular album everything is exactly where it should be in the production. Uh, there are bells ringing, there are triangles all over the place, there are funky grooves and dance beats. Uh, and it's, lyrically though, it's it's very sleazy. Okay, it's not death, it's not God and faith, this is a sex album. Weird sex, bad sex, wrong sex. It's lyrically on Under the Black Light. And even the title, Under the Black Light, makes me think of those, you know, exposés and then 10 o'clock <laughs> news, right? The hotel rooms. Yeah. Right. The Moneymaker <laughs> is literally about the Los Angeles porn industry. Porn, yeah. And, and if you've seen the video, they actually have, like, porn stars starring in right. it and stuff like that. But, yeah. I, I, it's funny. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think it's an okay album. But I was probably ready to go off and talk about Jenny Lewis's next album and totally skip over this, which tells you <laughs> what I think of it. You are the say this is that like i think this is the maybe it's the wrong producer that's the thing it's like half of the songs were produced by one guy and then the other half were by like 50 50 cents producer right the guy who wrote co-wrote in the club which is a good hip-hop <laughs> song i'm pulling up on out it's a good song but that's not what rilo kylie is supposed to be so you get things that i consider to be like all-time career lows for them 
like Dehalo, which again is Lewis kind of maybe returning one too many times to the same well of sort of like the cheap sex thing. This is like you're like oh you know I'm I'm going over to the the bad side of town to pick up a bad boy. Think Dehalo, you know, go to I can't remember what the, what she says in Spanish. She's like let's go back to my place. Um, but it's set to this salsa beat. Mm. And I'm telling you, if there's anything that, you know, you should always beware, beware trendy white hipster bands that suddenly began <laughs> writing songs with Spanish lyrics. Because <laughs> everything about that salsa rhythm and groove feels so wrong for Rilo Kylie. The lyrics, you know, even the lyrics are thin based on what she had already put up, you know, on the last three records. Mm-hmm. And, and just that that beat, it's, it, it irks me. It's like, this is not what this band should be doing there are a couple of good songs as far as the singles are concerned silver lining is good the money maker is pure sleaze but it's kind of like electrifying sleaze i do like it um but then there are songs here where i just think i you know i i want to hear them not under this production sort of spotlight i like the title track a lot mm-hmm. i like dream world i think that's good and the, the last song on the record give a little love it's lightweight all right it's kind of like a, a very sort of almost a, a trifle of a song but it's a catchy trifle it's a minimalist trifle but man yeah this is this is i guess it, it's not a shock that this was the end of the road for the band in my opinion I, but in the, yeah the album feels like it was the sellout to Warner Brothers, right? Warner Brothers makes this album. It's their bed for popularity. And it clearly doesn't go very well. Um, it almost feels like their heart really isn't in it in some ways. This isn't what their vision is. Um, the song opens with Silver Lining, which could be it could be argued is foreshadowing exactly what's about to happen to this band, which is it's over. Um, the uh you know of, of jenny lewis in the video is literally running away from the altar <laughs> yeah run away she run away bride and then and then the groom the groom who which is i think played by by, by uh blake and he just blake jumped, said it yeah yeah he just jumps into the pool at the end. Yeah. <laughs> just sort of like self-abnegation it, it's like it, it's almost and it happens to be it's i would argue it's probably it's the best song on the album by far is foreshadowing it, it, it just the album it doesn't fe- to me doesn't feel like them I, I i don't know that there's another way to really put it it just doesn't really feel like a rilo kiley or jenny lewis or blake Sennett for that matter it just feels like something they're doing um you know of course it did sort of well um which goes to show you know that you don't always have to uh you know be have conviction in this world but it's not it's not it's not one of their better albums Scott. The weird thing about Under the Black Light is I think the hooks are there. I, I remember 
I mean, just by title, essentially, you know, the melodies of all these songs. Not that they're fantastic songs, but I, I think the hooks are strong. So I, I will defend at least three and a half songs on this album. Uh, the, the half song is Break It Up, which I like most of the time. Uh, it does have this kind of thumping, swinging disco groove to it. And I do love that opening couplet. It, it's not as if New York City burned down to the ground once you drove away. It's a celebration Oh, you break up, of course, uh, lyrically. And this is, again, one where Sedat's little guitar uh, affectations and, and decorations uh, work. He has these chunky chords that ring out after the chorus that I really, really like. They both mentioned Silver Lining, which, yes, is, is probably the best song on the album. Uh, and again, foreshadowing was the, the very first lyric on the whole album. I'm not going back into rags or in the hole, right? Like, you can't, you can't shut me you know push me away uh, i am going to shine i'm going to uh, now i'm gold and then right. later i never felt so wicked as when i willed our love to die uh that's a great one under the black light jeff mentioned the title track it's a great melody it's so great it would be used again in a solo album to come and um and then the other one i really really like is the angels hung around it's one of the sweetest uh, I guess simplest songs. It's not so slathered in production, although it's unavoidable. It's there, but uh, it's got a real sweet melody. There's a neat point where the track drops out, except for vocals and drums. A real catchy groove. I like the angels hung around. You were stuck in the least favorite songs is one that jeff likes which is give a little love i don't i don't like give a little love um and that there there are other parts on here that just don't work i don't think smoke detector or 15 are great by any means so it's like it's like half a good album and the other half is is sort of a a, a messed up kind of slick sleazy trek through los angeles and what perhaps they thought uh, would be attractive to listeners. And it, it did sell, but it did nowhere near enough to, to be an excuse to continue the band. And so they didn't. And there's not really been an on-the-record sort of explanation as to what happened or why, but this is one of those Occam Razor's things, uh, things in which the most obvious explanation is likely uh, the most likely, which is uh, people like Jenny Lewis's album for the most part. Uh, Under the Blacklight can be read somewhat as a as a Jenny Lewis solo effort, by and large, said it only sings one song on the album. The songs are clearly more tailored, I think, for for her and for for her voice. And so at that point, it kind of makes sense to do something else on her own and end Rilo Kiley, which is exactly what happens. By the way, before we move on, I do want to point out that, like, the, um, they, you know, Several years later, like six years later, they released a uh, an archival CD of like outtakes and B sides, 
there are like seven songs from the Under the Blacklight sessions that are included here that were outtakes. One of them is a horrible remix of De Hello, which I hated already and I don't like in this remix anyway. Um, but the other six songs are better than almost every single thing on the album. And and it, it opens. The first song on the record is the best song from Under the Blacklight, which was perversely not even included on the record. Uh and yet everybody who loves Jenny Lewis and everyone who likes Rilo Kylie always agrees this is one of their great songs. They even played it live. They played it live recently in a reunion concert. It's Let Me Back In, a song about life on the road, life traveling, life running around. And every time you feel like you've gone from here to there to all over the world, you come back home to Los Angeles and you're like, here's a city that will let me back in. And it is beautiful. It's a folk country song. It's not slick pop rock or anything like that and it's lewis and senate writing it together and my god it's one of their best ever songs and why they didn't put it on the album well i guess i understand why because it doesn't fit with anything else on the record but it's better than anything else on the record it it, it sounds like rilo kiley and i would agree i actually think it's one of their best songs it's 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 the way I would always describe it is, is it's like an alt-country torch love song to Los Angeles, ultimately, um, of this is the place that will always take me back. Um, and the lyrics are wonderful. I mean, it, it makes you feel like you're in the city in a way. Um, it, it's just just beautiful, uh, beautiful imagery. You know, I had a because I, I had a dream. I was carried on backs of a thousand green birds, and they carried me to a place without words. I mean, it, it's just a stunningly wonderful song. And whoever ever told them <laughs> to take this off the album was just wrong. I, I, I don't <laughs> think there's any other words to describe it. And you can bury. simple reason that it sounds completely unlike anything else on the record because everything else on the record is is pop and rock 
and you know, like you know, sleaze stuff like the money maker. You think let me back in, slotted back to back with that, it's going to make any <laughs> sense sonically? No, it's it, it feels like it comes from actually, it feels like it comes from Rabbit Fur Coat. If anything, it doesn't feel like it comes from that record, which you sort of feel like it was fated to be an off cutting, but it never should have been. And actually, I think the same for all these others. All these, notably, all these other songs were the ones. Per, uh, right. I was about to with... say, it should, that should have been the album. I mean, that's the irony of the whole thing. Yeah, like, would, like all the drugs. It's popular, but it is more, it it's is a, the better album. It's a Rilo Kelly album when you have, like, I'll Get You There and Running Around, all the drugs. Those are all great songs. Dragging Around is good. Um, and, yeah, well, I, I just say, like, check out the uh, B-Sides outtakes record. It, it isn't just like a weird afterthought. It, it, it's got a lot of fantastic music and going through their entire career, in fact, not just that. It's got stuff from, you know, the execution of all things sessions and from, you know, the more adventurous sessions as well. And I think it, it ends with the Frug, you know, just sort of like, cause I think at that time the EP was out of print. The first album was out of print. So they just say, throw that one on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good kind of way to wrap up their career. What we have to start now is discussing the last three records of Jenny Lewis's solo career to date. And, of course, where we begin is with Troop Beverly Hills. No, I'm kidding. We begin, <laughs> we begin with, I think, one that we're all going to agree on. What is the reason that I liked Rabbit Fur Coat so much? Because I felt like it was stripped down. It was rough-hewn. It had you know less production, gim-crackery. It was a much more open and honest record. Well, Acid Tongue from 2008 the first solo album lewis wrote after the unofficial it wasn't announced until much later but it was basically done by that point the breakup of rilo kiley is acid tongue in 2008 and uh i think this is a superior record in every respect it's folk and it's country rock and then there are even songs like the next messiah which start like elvis costello in tokyo storm warning which scott pointed out in our pre-show notes and uh, then it turns into this weird Titanic blues country stomp halfway through. It feels entirely earned. I'm gonna give my love to you one day. You gotta bring it back. I'm gonna give my love to you one day. You gotta bring it back. I'm gonna give my love to you one day. You gotta bring it back. This is a great record. The, ironically enough, the only thing on it I don't think works entirely is Elvis Costello's guest appearance. <laughs> so, so, yeah, beyond that, I, I'm a big fan of this one. What do you guys think? Um, I would mostly agree. Uh, I'd like you. Carpetbaggers is the one song on the album I don't particularly like. I don't think it's quite as good as Acid Tongue because there's, I mean, quite as good as Rabbit Fur Coat. Because there's something that feels slightly not unified about it. And that might be hmm. 
partly because of the way it was it was sort of taped, you know, over a couple of days with people coming in and out. And I mean, other musicians coming in and out. And I think. Didn't that, she have like a band A and a band B yes. to record different right. kinds of songs? Right. That, yep. that, I, that explains some of it. And I think there's so there's sli- there's a slight disconnect in parts of the album that whereas Rabbit Fur Coat clearly feels like one vision, right? But on the other hand, I, I agree. This is a, almost a near perfect album. Um, and and w- w- one of the things we've talked about is how they always sound different. The moment this opens, it's different, right? It's got sort of a mix of the 1970s with more Southern rockabilly a little bit um, and just a different way than she's done it or Rilo Kiley has done it in the past. Um, Black Sand opens up with her sharp voice and a sharp drum beat. Um, the next Messiah, which is a, three songs apparently put together, um, is is just terrific. Um, you know, Zoe Dachanel does vocals in it. It's uh, in a little past six minutes if some, if, when we play the tapes. Um, and the last third is an, uh, with her then boyfriend, who was one of the producers on the album, Jonathan musician Jonathan Rice is like one of the most demented duets of all time. I mean, the whole thing is just this amazing force field almost. It's odd because um, what Helene considers a, uh, a, a, to its detriment, I, I would say is actually something I really like about Acid Tongue, which is uh, the feel of it and the flow of it. I, I, I don't feel that disconnectedness necessarily that, that uh, Helene feels when listening to Acid Tongue. I like... Uh, the fact that it uh, it sounds a little uh, jammy at times, that it sounds like a bunch of friends getting together and playing because that essentially is what happened. There are tons of guest stars. Uh, Davey Farrer from uh, from uh, The Imposters plays, and of course Elvis Costello sings, and you guys mentioned Jonathan Rice and others, and a guy who I don't even know if any, any either of you know, but Dave Scher was in this band for a very short time called Beachwood Sparks, which was really a good band. Uh, he co-produced a lot of the stuff and plays on some things. I really like that. I like the feel of Acid Tongue, and uh, perhaps uh, tellingly, I, I don't think I don't think that any one song from this album is going to make my list at the end of the show. But the album itself very well might. There's something about the sum of these songs that are that is greater to me than the individual parts. I really like the album as a whole now, now on the individual songs uh pretty bird which is the second song on this record is a real uh slow grower for me the th- second or third time i heard it is when i really got into it pretty bird. Acid Tongue, the title track, is this very intimate acoustic track. The friends, in this case, are, are, are singing backup, but, but musically it's really just Jenny 
and her vocals. Uh, I'm a liar and you don't know what I've done. Uh, great lyric uh, on Acid Tongue. Um, Godspeed. I-, I like that she's playing way up in her range on that song. Her voice breaks in a few occasions uh, on Godspeed. Uh, and yeah, production-wise, you do hear some of that kind of early 70s country rock feel. I, I noted here, listening to Acid Tongue, you can hear why perhaps Ryan Adams wanted to work with her because there's more than a little like cold roses feel to Acid Tongue in certain parts. And yet, of course, he would change the sound in the next album, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but I, I really like this as an album. Again, the individual songs, I don't know if any of them are career uh, highlights, but the feel, the flow uh, of Acid Tongue really, really works for me. I would say Acid Tongue, the song, is one of her career highlights. I, I mean, it's just, it's very simple, um, like you said, but it ju- it's one of those songs that kind of builds up, um, not to some strange, surprising ending, but just to a sort of emotional peak uh, where it sort of, you know, encompasses drugs, loneliness, um, you know, and, you know, and relating to other people. And I just think it's a terrific, very sad song in a way. When it may be one of the saddest songs she's ever done, which mm. is saying something because mm-hmm. all, all of these songs are pretty sad. But the, the couplet that has always stood out to me um, is, is to be lonely as a habit, like smoking or doing or taking drugs. And I've quit them both, but man, was it rough. <laughs> I mean, which is just one of those lines. It's almost like you, you almost pass it the first time that you think, that is a haunting, haunting, haunting line because there's so much depth in there and so much, wait, what happened in there? Where you're like, wait, I want, I want to know all those stories. Where, where, what's going on here? And I, I just think it's a truly haunting song. I was a little bit lighter and adventure on my sleeve. I was a little drunk and looking for company. So I found myself a sweetheart with the softest of hands. We were unlucky in love, but I'd do it all again. We built ourselves a I like almost everything on this album. I mean, I, I, I think that some of my favorites come near the end. Uh, trying my best to love you. Again, it's it's a modest song in some ways. It's gospel soul, but it works so well with her voice. And, and you know, this is the thing just, you know, to observe when you hear it, you just hear how much she's grown as a singer. She's so confident now. Remember when she was all breathy and like, you know, wispy <laughs> on that first EP? That's that's not the Jenny Lewis you hear anymore. Sing the song Sing a song, sing a song for them. 
Is actually one of the simplest songs, which is "Sing a Song for Them." It's the last song on the record. Um, it's a very simple, almost universalist song. It's it's uh, you know it almost reminds me in a weird way of "Bird on a Wire" by Leonard Cohen. You know, like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir. I've tried my best to be free. So, like, you know, what did you say? If you sing, sing a song for them, for the never made it, the unrecognized, mm-hmm. the weekend tweakers, the blonde and the blind, the ex thrill seekers in the methadone lines, all of the, the sort of the washouts and, you know, you, people who are down on their luck and who are trying their best to make it back up on their feet. And of course, it's set to this just incredibly beautiful soulful, almost effortless feeling music. And I think that's kind of what Scott identifies with too. There's a feeling to this entire album, despite the fact that, you know, it's there's lots of like Jenny Lewis and friends kind of a thing where there's guest stars and stuff like that. Still has has a very kind of organic feel to the entire thing. I think that this and Rabbit for Coat are her two best soul albums and they're certainly better unfortunately, than what comes next. So right. I, I'm just going to say that, like, you know, when, when it comes when it comes to the Voyager, you know, I'm glad that Ryan Adams produced it because now I have somebody conveniently to scapegoat. <laughs> I'll say, like, you know, since he's been officially canceled, uh, we can just you can just blame him. But there's just some the production on this is all wrong. Uh, Jenny Lewis told this funny story. It, it's a lot funnier in retrospect, actually. He's just like, yeah, so like Ryan seemed to kind of trying to like needle me, trying to like kind of get up my nose. He would force me to sit and listen at maximum volume to Creed songs. <laughs> and he'd say like, these songs are really great. And he'd like play six of them in a row. And like, you know, your brain gets so addled at that point that you start thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I guess they kind of are. No, no, they're not. No, <laughs> no, they're not. I have no idea what kind of drugs Ryan Adams was on or what he was thinking at this time. Scott has some theories I'd well, love to hear. I don't like the production on this one one bit. All those times we were making love I never thought we'd be breaking up Bet you tell her I'm crazy It goes on and on and on and on It goes on and on and on and on But she's not me She sees Yeah, but, I mean the Voyager, this era, and it's just a weird little era. I, 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 this is the era in which Ryan Adams believed that everything should sound like Brian Adams' Reckless album from 1983, whatever it was. And his, his self-titled album around the same time, there's a few other things he produced around the same time. They all have that same sound, which is the sound you hear on the Voyager. 
uh, that it, it could be transported back and, and sit next to a Jay Giles album on the on the shelves. And it doesn't work, um, the Voyager, with a couple of, 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 of exceptions. Uh, but by and large, it doesn't uh, work. And It swallows up the potential of these songs. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, this was something we were discussing a bit uh, before the show, where there's the songs, the lyrics of the songs are actually wonderful. And if they were put in rabbit fur coat or acid tongue style, they would really stand out. And instead, they just sort of get swallowed. So you don't even realize most of the time what you're listening to. Um, you know, Late Bloomer is like one of the great story songs that she's ever done. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and again, one of those incredibly dark, dark kicks at the end. And it just, you would barely notice the lyrics. I mean, over, you know, the sort of just okay music style of it. She was searching for the right. There are exceptions. I think actually, it's uh, uh, I, I'd point out too. I think I think Lake Bloomer stands all right <laughs> despite the production. The two I would say uh, really do work here is the first song, "Head Underwater," which honestly I think is one of the really good uh, songs from her solo era here on the back end of the career, uh, and it's a well-written song. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Watson twins return to harmonize on this song. So there, there's another advantage going for it. But the, the lyrically theme is, it kind of goes back to um, the final song on Rabbit Fur Coat, uh, which is sort of not recognizing yourself, uh, not recognizing who you've become, um, and, and trying to change. And the, the big question in Head Underwater is, can you turn it around? Can you still be someone else? Looking out of my life as if there is no there there, uh, which is what's said about California at some point, I think. And um, that, 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 that couplet that she sings so beautifully, there's a little bit of magic. Everybody has it. There's a little bit of sand left in the hourglass. Again, is there time left? Can you turn uh, can you turn yourself into something you're happier with, into something you are, that is more recognizable to you? Uh, set to, again, a pretty up-tempo, fun beat. Head Underwater works really well. My own mortality, I contemplated. Down in the valley, I got hypnotized. It left a mark that hasn't faded. That's when I realized there's a There's a little bit of sand left in the hourglass There's a little bit of magic Everybody has it There's a little bit of fight left in me yet I put my head underwater, baby I put my breath into it And the other one 
I'll point out is uh, the title track, and I think uh, Helene likes that's, this one. That one, that's the one that feels like it flew in from another album, practically. Right. And again, and, and, go ahead, go ahead. And, and it points kind of, it, it, one of the things about, you know, Jenny Lewis and Rilo Kiley albums is, you know, that the, the final songs always sort of sum something up about the album, right? And this album's kind of a journey in a way. Um, strip out, you know, the over the overproduction. And it's really about, you know, I think Jenny Lewis is about 38 at the time when this album's released. And it had and, been her first album, solo album in like six years, too. And it, right, it, where she had talked about, I think, um, one of her parents died. I think her father died. I think she had, you know, terrific, horrific bouts of insomnia. Um, and, you know, it's really about the Voyager, you know, is sort of about striving and trying to make it, not always making it, and just trying to do it again. Um, you know, and it obviously touches on, you know, the Voyager, right? But, you know, the Voyager is an every boy and girl. If you want to get to heaven, get out of this world. I mean, it is, is <laughs> you know, it's almost like a song that she's trying to sum up the past 20 years and look forward to the next 20 um, it, it's really actually a wonderful song. It's it's argu- arguably the best on the album by far. When it finally hit me, I did not cry. Cause I was at the 7-Eleven, flipping through the news. Other good songs on the album, um, even if you can ignore the overproduction of it. Um, Just One of the Guys happens to be a great song, um, which is also kind of about this, you know, this sort of rueful reckoning with life in a way. Um, the baby is both sort of a cliche, um, you know, but also kind of true in the end, you know, that at the end of the day, you don't keep up with the guys. Um, every woman learns this eventually. And, um, you know, the opening is just sort of the opening lyric is just sort of sort of heartbreaking on its own. All of our friends, they're just getting on. But the girls there are still staying young. That's not Jenny Lewis that she's talking about in that opening. And um, it's really a sort of heartbreaking song. And I have to say, it's one of those songs that has actually grown on me a lot over the years. I've always liked it, but I've kind of realized how sad it is. the the more I hear No matter how I try To be just one of the guys There's a little something inside That won't let me No matter how I try To have an open mind There's a little cop inside That prevents me I'm not gonna break 
unnecessarily and irrationally hold the video for just one of the guys <laughs> against it, which is like Jenny Lewis and all of her Hollywood friends, all of these famous actresses from like, you know, 2014 was this like Anne Hathaway and, um, Who's the girl from Twilight? Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yes. Kristen yes. Stewart. There's a, there's, a, there's a couple others who I recognize, but I can't put their names to them. And they're all, of course, they're dressed in drag with fake mustaches, and they're pretending to be guys and playing in the band. And I don't know. There's just something about it that feels like, you know, aren't we celebrities just so cool? Um, which is, again, unfairly projected from me onto them <laughs> and is, is not not fair but it is nevertheless there and it exists. It well, is a good song. Not to interrupt. I, I think it's part of the whole Jenny Lewis mystique, right? She's always playing at being this outsider, but she's actually not an outsider. She's, an she's a child star. She's right? an incredibly connected Hollywood person. And, you know, so you're always kind of like, well, how much failure could you have? <laughs> well, obviously some. She's not an actor anymore. Um, you know, she'll say, you know, she, you know, left acting, you know, because she, you know, was restless with it. And I'm sure that's true. But it's also true that her adult acting career was not exactly setting the world on fire the way her childhood acting career was. So you can understand that. Um, but I do think that that's always something that's in the Jenny Lewis song where you are always kind of like, well, wait a second here. You know, are you for real here? Are you sure that like you're this much of a failure that you right. really wake up in the morning? You know, you're hanging out with all your celebrity friends. What are you talking about exactly? Exactly. I'll say what the, one other thing. I think yeah, it, Scott and you were both right to identify the Voyager, the final track, as the one as a song that just because it sounds so different from everything else on the record, it holds up. It doesn't. It doesn't suffer from those production ticks. One that actually survives them uh, is the new you. I really like the new you. It's it's got a lyric that basically triumphs over any kind of mischief that Ryan a Ryan Adams could ever hope to play with it. It's just right from the jump. It says when the twin towers fell and it all went to hell, I knew you'd be leaving me soon. Uh, and it's about a guy who just keeps changing. You know, he, he's always a different person. Every time you see him, he's he, he he's he's a new man this day. He's a different man that day. And there's that one. What's that line when you you, you struggle with sobriety? And dreams of notoriety, and you're listening to Kill 'Em All, which is a, the, the most subtle Metallica <laughs> reference you would have never expected to get smuggled into a Jenny Lewis song. And you struggle with sobriety, dreams of notoriety, listening to Kill 'Em All. Contempt for high society, social anxiety, we missed you at the headbangers ball. But I can reach your fortune just. I kind of think that might have come from Ryan Adams, like his, his little contribution. He's 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 a metal guy. 
You, you think you think he threw that in there? I, I think he, I think he threw that in there with a headbangers ball reference too. <laughs> like you know, at the end, I, I just love that lyric. Oh gosh, I gotta give Ryan. Hey, Ryan Adams is a great artist. He's sleazebag, perhaps, but man, I mean, a lot of great albums. We did a show on Ryan Adams yeah. long ago, three years ago. Any cancellation? You know what? By the way, since since no one talked about it, I'll, I'll take twelve seconds to say you know his his most recent album Wednesdays is really excellent. <laughs> Um, and then he's got another one, Big Colors, is finally coming out sometime this summer. I'm less optimistic about that, having heard a few tracks, but Wednesdays was really good. And because of the controversies, and I, again, there are reasons, uh, but because of it, people didn't care about that last release, but it was really very good. I I literally completely ducked my notice, and I have every other Ryan Adams album ever. <laughs> that tells you how much this stuff has just been suppressed. Maybe deservedly so, given his behavior. But yeah, uh, you know, New You is a great song that no production ticks can, can suppress. Uh, thankfully, though, that isn't the end of the story. At this point, she's taking a lot more time between stuff. You know, this is just the way of all artists, right? Unless you're Bob Dylan and you're putting out random Frank Sinatra albums and Christmas albums because why the hell not you're Bob Dylan, <laughs> you're going to take your time between releases as you get later and later into your career. So her most recent record, I right. believe... I just actually break in to say one thing that, that she yeah. does in the middle of this, which is oh. she does a tour for the 10th anniversary of Rabbit Fur Coat. Oh. She and the Watson twins reunite and um, they perform Rabbit Fur Coat live, you know, in... In like, venues uh, across the country, and it was back. actually the yeah, it was ex and and they throw in a few other songs at the end, which I'm sure. not going to remember because I saw the show about <laughs> five years ago. But I, I'm sure I could go on YouTube and find out, right? Or Song Sets uh, right. website. But and it was really, really wonderful. Um, I would say the audience was about 75 percent female. No kidding. Um, and it was it was just a terrific show, and it was something that was really great to see. And I'm. And it sort of showed how that album really has had resonance and has lasted for a lot of people. Well, if you had thought that she had still, like, or maybe that she had lost her fastball, um, there's good news because her most recent record on the line, while it's not as good as her first two solo records, in my opinion at least, on the line is far better, far better than uh, The Voyager. And I, I think that this one is, is, you know, a lot more like it right from Head's Gonna Roll, which is the first song on the album, and I might say the best song on the album. It's a much more naturalistic sound. There's a Hammond organ solo in the middle of that song. Ben I Montench! I, is it Ben Montench playing? Yeah. I tell yeah. you, I have, I, I have, right by the, It's also Ringo Stars on drums on that Ringo song. Stars on drums. I tell you, I haven't heard a sound like that since 1971, and I was negative nine years old in 1971. <laughs> Alright, that was awesome. And so, like, right from that moment, I thought, okay, not dead yet. This is good.
album has a lot of old school rockers on it. It's not just Ben Montage or Ringo. It's got Jim Keltner, who's like yeah. the greatest session drummer of all time, practically, you know, now that Hal Blaine has passed away. You know, then there's Don Was of all guys. There's the, 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 the band playing on this record supports music that proves that it was really just, I think, a mistake of production decisions, maybe chasing that brass ring of commerciality, which I think is the mistake. I think maybe the mistake that Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis made both is is trying to like play for mainstream success when you know you're always not you're gonna be that niche artist. You're not gonna be, you know, you know, number one on the billboard charts, even in this weird era where you know nobody sells that many copies of albums anymore you have a devoted fan base that you know it doesn't demand a, a sort of repetitive style out of you all the time but you know you don't need to like you know put hip hop beats and salsa dancing rhythms and like <laughs> you know like you know synths and all that kind of stuff onto your music to make it effective you can just play it as it is and this is this is a return to form right i, I mean you can't really blame somebody and i mean this conversation go beyond you know jenny lewis and rilo kiley for wanting to become more popular and slash make more money i mean that's sort of a given that you know people want to do that but i basically agree i i don't i think they are kind of one of the ultimate niche bands um and one of the bands uh bands and artists jenny lewis you know that people find over time you know, one of the things I've often thought about them is in some ways, you know, most people, most music, music stars, you know, have a very, you know, become big very quickly. And in fact, this has like been a slow buildup. It's almost like, you know, if you were re reading a resume on LinkedIn, you know, they start with the demo and then, you know, Rilo Kiley builds up and then Jenny Lewis builds up. And it's like over 20 years, you slowly realize just how great this all is. Mm -hmm. And it, but it's not actually a model you see in music very often. Scott, on the line, um, you know, Ryan Adams actually was going to produce this album again. And he came in for about five days, I guess. And Jenny Lewis said then he split. Uh, there's only one song I think where I really hear his influence, and that's uh, Wasted Youth, which is mm -hmm. the second song. And actually, I, I think it's better than most songs on the last album he produced, uh, The Voyager. I think Wasted Youth, Wasted Youth is a pretty good song. Uh, but it does have that sort of Ryan Adams echoey 80s era guitar sound on it. Uh, overall, it's a strong album. I don't think it's as good as tongue or Rabbit Fur Coat, but it's certainly nice to see. I think this is uh, one of her albums in which um, I would say the second half is better than the first half, and I don't think that's always the case. Uh, Jeff, I, I think, had mentioned he liked um, the first track as uh, his favorite song on the album. I'm, I'm just telling him he's wrong. You're wrong. The best song on this album is absolutely Little White Dove which is one that Beck came in to help produce. And it does have uh, the, the little Beck stylings on it. But man, is that a great song. And this is one of those in which, you know, we said sometimes it's not clear whether or not it's biographical, autobiographical or not. This is one where the first person is clear. This is, this is Jenny Lewis visiting her mom, her ailing mother in a hospital, and finally finding this ability to um, uh, forgive or at least be at peace with her mother, um, and that double-sided uh, on the heroine, 
which is the uh, which is the repeated phrase in the song, both as the you know the savior, the, the one who was able to come in and make this piece, but also I think heroin. The double meaning, of course, we know how badly her mother had it in in her life, many self inflicted wounds, of course, and part of that was was drug use. So that that works both ways. Very funky, relaxed song with this great bass groove, and there's there's a part in. Uh, in, in the chorus in which there's a little auto-tune hiccup, which you can hear. And if you hear it, you might think, well, oh, it's a mistake. Why did I let that on the album? And I read that Jenny Lewis explained that what happened there is that the Beck was trying to tell her or show her how he thought that she could sing that part of the song. And so he took the auto-tune and tuned it, you know, to where he wanted it to be, played it back, and Jenny said, no, 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 I'll sing it the way I want, but leave that in because that's awesome. So there's a couple it of is, those little... It is. It's, it's a great, great moment. There's a couple of little hiccups in there that just work really perfectly. And yeah, Little White Dove is the best song on this album. All the guardian angels at the door With the long white coats and the stethoscopes In the middle of love On the little white Taffy's really good. I know uh, Helene's going to talk about that, I think, in a minute. Uh, On the Line, the title track, I like an awful lot. Rabbit Hole has this odd, not odd, it's just, it works. It's a juxtaposition between these sort of anguished lyrics, uh, but kind of sing-songy hooks and and melody to Rabbit Hole. Uh, The second half of this album really comes together well. Even though I think if you know songs, you know, Red Bull and Hennessy actually got a little bit of play and attention when, when it was released. I like that okay. Um, Hollywood Lawn is all right on that first half, but it's it's the side B. It's the second half of On the Line that really sells it for me. Well, if it's any consolation to you, I just want you to know that Little White Dove was like my second favorite song <laughs> on the album. I, I have to say, I love this album. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as Rabbit Fur Coat or Acid Tongue, but I happen to think it's a really, really terrific album. Um, you know, I love different songs on it, depending on when you get me on it. But I would say, you know, the song that had really grown on me, and I always really liked it, was Taffy, which is just this sort of small, you know, beautiful, beautiful song, a bit of a story. Um you know, which opens up with just, you know, the most amazing um, image of, of a relationship when it is good um, and of a really good memory. And then you realize that this is going to end very, very badly. And in fact, it appears to tell the story. I don't know how autobiographical it is of something of her breakup with Jonathan Rice. Um, and, you know, just sort of the heartbreaking image contrasting the opening where, uh, you know, she, you know, he told her she looked pretty, they steal a Christmas tree, and then she's going through a phone and uh, discovering, uh, you know, as she has sent nude pictures to him to keep him, 
that uh, this guy is not faithful. I, I mean, it's just it's sort of, it, it, it's beautifully, beautifully told. The keyboard um, is it, just used to great effect to emphasize various points. And it, it's one of those songs that just sort of is, I, I find in some Jenny Lewis stuff is haunting. thing about this album in many ways it kind of haunts you and grows on you a bit um i always say in some ways it's again one of her very la albums um one of the things i'm always trying to explain to people when you live out here it's you know because things can seem like they don't change at all so you could be you know surrounded by memory in a way you're not in other parts of the country because things often don't look different because the lack of a humidity and the lack of cold, things don't age very much. So, you know, there's just this sort of haunting feeling about that, that go, that is part of this album where the past is almost as real as the present to her in various songs. Um, and you see that on Hollywood lawn, um, which I almost wondered if it was, the title was also partly a reference to the celebrity cemetery in LA, which is forest lawn. Um, mm. For those of you who are wondering, um, and the, which is another one of my favorite songs on the album, um, with its, you know, which is really about accepting endings and the chorus a bit reminds me of, um, the Eagles best of my love a little bit, um, which, you know, and Jenny Lewis has said she is a major Eagles fan, but if you ever hear best of my love, you know, you, that bridge where it's, if I could go back in time and it's a sweet dream and it was a quiet night and it would be all right if I could go on sleeping. And then she sings, you know, if you keep on dreaming, keep dreaming. All right. If you keep dreaming, keep sleeping through the night. Um, and it, it just is a beautiful, beautiful song. On a Hollywood long today. is I think one of its bids for attention is these kind of 
um, clever references to things everybody recognizes. Mercury in retrograde, Candy Crush, uh, Elliot Smith, who we know she loves, but has become one of these, you know, catch-alls uh, to show how smart you are if, you know, if you mm. really appreciate him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, which always reminds me of what one critic, um, and I'm not going to remember who it is, once said about Tom Stoppard, is that, you know, he puts you know, like, you know, Byron or an obscure Russian poet in a play and intellectuals love it because they're like, oh, my God, yes, I know, you know, <laughs> you know, the Decembrists, right? I know who they really were, <laughs> not the band. And... And I think there is a bit of that to this album. I, I will say that, um, where you're supposed to pick up on the references. Um, and it's probably slightly too impressed with its own references. But that's actually, I consider, a minor flaw. Um, and then the final song, Rabbit Hole, which is this sort of cheerful song, but it's actually this kind of assertion of power, right? I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole with you again. I mean, which just sort of sums up at the end of all this, you know, memory and loss of, we're I'm a moving on. Um, and it's actually like one of these perfect closes. It was a sexual kind of connection. I just want to say that uh, Hollywood Lawn is far better than the best of my love. I, I really need to emphasize as a, as a devoted non-fan of the Eagles. We've done an Eagles episode. It was one of the very few contentious episodes we've ever done where I was like, I hate this band and I have always hated this band. However, um, that song is beautiful. And uh, I think this album is great. And, and it, it makes, you know, it's funny as again, the guy who has the least right to express opinions about Jenny Lewis uh, of anyone on this show. Cause I found them like, you know, a month ago. Um, uh, it makes me optimistic for the future. It makes me think, okay, well, 2019, I hope we don't have to wait another four years, you know, the way it was between this one and the last one. Um, but yes, she still has that, that fastball and also the curve. She's got the curveball. That's really, I think, what matters the most is that she can always surprise you with, with the way not only that she writes a lyric, but arranges a song and writes a melody. And uh, it, it, it's, it's been really impressive and just a lot of, again, a lot of fun to find new music for me. It's just one of the joys of doing this show. Right. I should say Jenny Lewis has done a couple of things since. Um, late in 2019, she released a cover of Bob Dylan's Standing in the Doorway, which if hmm. you haven't heard, I beg you to listen. I must. Uh, I have not it heard is, it. It is more heartbreaking than Dylan's version. I'm walking through these summer nights. Jukebox playing low. Yesterday, everything. Was going too fast. Today it's moving too slow. 
for a second. A critic once wrote about Charlotte Bronte's work that like when you read Jane Bronte, when you read Jane Eyre, you read she's plain and you don't believe it. And then you read Villette and you believe she's really as plain as she says. <laughs> um, in Standing in the Doorway, when Dylan sings it, you don't really feel the heartbreak he's singing because he's Bob Dylan. And then Jenny Lewis's version is like, you know, you basically are, are sobbing by the end. It is so beautiful. All right. Well, so. I guess I have my homework. And then um, there's been a new co- collaboration with um, the rapper Serengeti, which is also quite good. Um, it's been a quarantine thing. I think they've been trading um, the takes uh, via the iPhone um, and recording in various ways. And um, it's a bit do-it-yourself, uh, but it's also really lovely and wonderful um, and intriguing. Um, it does have that thing again with a bit of the uh, repeated, uh, na- you know, you know, smart name dropping like Joe Didion. But on the other hand, um, as one one person on YouTube put it, I, I just have to give this person their due because I don't know their name, but it was such a great line. They they described it, it's like a mix of Leonard Cohen, Jenny Lewis, and Lou Reed. And I was like, yes, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> well, you've got my attention, I have to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I know all of them. All right, Scott, I think I think we're done. I think we are, at least uh, for now. At least for now. The look at Rilo Kiley and Jenny Lewis. And we come to the point of the episode in which we give you, the listener, two albums that you must own from our band, our artist, and five songs that you should hear. And we had kicked around before the show. Ten. Yeah, yeah, okay. Ten. Okay, so we're going to do, do two albums. I think we can still manage that. But uh, we are going to give you five. So it's, it's essentially half and half. We give you five songs from Rilo Kiley and five songs from Jenny Lewis that you really should hear. And of course, we always uh, demure to our guest first, Helene Olin, opinion writer with the Washington Post. Uh, your two albums and then your 10 total songs okay. you want to share with the world. I just want to tell the audience, I am semi doing this on the fly because <laughs> they hit me with this a little while ago. So I yeah. had just picked five songs being the good person that I am. I was following directions. And then so, I'm a little stinker, and I said, we we, we can't just narrow this to five. We no, but it's five good, because as I said, the thing about both Rilo Kiley and Jenny Lewis, different songs hit you at different days. So it's actually like a really good exercise to just do this straight on the fly. <laughs> um, so I did essentially, the two essential albums, I picked one from each, obviously. Um, you know, More Adventurous from uh, Rilo Kiley and Rabbit Fur Coat from Jenny Lewis. Um, if those are the the two I would have. Of Jenny Lewis um, songs, uh, absolutely, Rabbit Fur Coat, Acid Tongue, um, Just One of the Guys. Um, let me think this out for a second. Probably Taffy, um, which I love. 
and probably you are what you love, which uh, is just really, uh, as I said, critics consider it a minor song. Uh, I think all three of us actually consider it something of a masterpiece. Um, for Rilo Kiley, um, let me think this out for a second. Uh, definitely a better son daughter. Definitely portion for fo- portions for foxes. Um, definitely. Um, let me think this out for a second because this is where you're getting me now. Thinking on the fly, guys. Um, probably let me back in, which is really an extraordinary song. Um, probably what else? I did three, right? Um, hmm. Guys, do you want to go ahead, and I will come back to my last two in a second. We can do that. We've done that before. Okay. You, you keep thinking. Sure. And I'll uh, I'll do mine. Uh, so my albums will echo what we've heard: "Rabbit Fur Coat" and "More Adventurous." One from Rilo Kylie, one from Jenny Lewis. When we get to the songs from Rilo Kylie, uh, "Wire and Waves" from slightly earlier in the career, I think, is on the list. I would say uh, the, the title song from "Execution of All Things." Um. Better Son, Daughter, uh, Does He Love You, Clearly. And then I would say Silver Lining from Under the Black Light would be my five from Rilo Kiley. And then for Jenny Lewis' uh, solo work, uh, both Rise Up With Fists and You Are What You Love from Rabbit Fur Coat. Uh, I, I lied a bit because I didn't know we'd do all ten. And so, yes, one uh, song from Acid Tongue will make it here. And I'll, I'll take Pretty Bird. I really That song has really grown on me. From the Voyager, uh, Head Underwater. And uh, I just uh, praised this one from on the line, Little White Dove, would be my fifth choice for the Jenny Lewis songs. Yeah, Helena. I, Helena, I hear the desperate <laughs> shuffling of papers. Have, have, have you decided on your final two Rilo Kylie songs? With arms outstretched, and yes, I will admit, does he does he love you? Is still one of my all time favorites. No fault there. So, my two albums, and I think they're this is surprising unanimity here is more adventurous from Rilo Kylie and Rabbit for Coat from Jenny Lewis. Um, for my songs, I'll say Science versus Romance from um, The Execution of All Things. Or rather, actually, from uh, Takeoffs and Landings. Um, Paints Peeling from The Execution of All Things. Uh, then A Better Son Daughter, uh, which is all showed up on all three of our lists. Does He Love You, which, you know, melodrama or not, is just devastating. Uh, Love and War is another one from More Adventurous, which I think gets zero attention and deserves a lot more of it than it gets. And yeah, if I was going to just throw a bonus sixth one, then I would say let me back in. But thankfully, Helene already mentioned it, so I don't have to. For Jenny Lewis's songs, I'll say You Are What You Love. Boy, we all love that one. Uh, Rabbit for Coat, the title track, which is, uh, I think, her at her most sort of you know, nakedly self-revealing in a way that... Um, has no pretense to it. I'd say sing a song for them off of uh, Acid Tongue. The Voyager, which is the one song on that <laughs> album which isn't touched by the the cack-handed finger of Ryan Adams's, uh, you know, production techniques. And I'll say Head's Gonna Roll uh, from the final album, uh, so far at least, from On the Line. Uh, it's a beautiful song. 
and uh, it's again, it's it's just got that that beautiful sort of classic '70s sound, which is. In, in many ways, the last thing I would have expected to come out of Jenny Lewis in 2019, which is one of the things that makes it that much more sweet. And you think I'm going to heaven And that you are going to hell With your back to the Martina As if you were in jail Political Beats look at Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis. We thank our guests, uh, opinion writer at the Washington Post. Find the work at WashingtonPost.com, her website, HelaneOlin.com, or at Helene Olin on Twitter, where she self-admittedly spends too much time. Helene Olin, thanks so much for joining us here on Political Beats. Thank you. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Jeff Blair, we have a big summer lined up with, I believe, a three-part episode right off the bat to begin things. About, uh, you know, the, these Canadians, you know, they, 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 they worm their way down here like Dave Foley, and they, 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 they take over our institutions. And it's weird, we mentioned him on the show today already. Yes, the three-parter on Brian Adams, the Canadian, <laughs> is coming up next on Pol- uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it not. was the summer of 69. <laughs> we'll go in-depth right. as to how old Brian Adams really would have been in the summer of 69, which is, uh, well, not Four, old enough. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, right. At Esoteric CD on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remind you to find our Patreon page, too. You'll get this episode early. Well, not this one, because if you hear it, it's already out. But you know what I mean. Uh, if you're on our upper-level bestest friends, early access, plus exclusive content, plus remastered episode, plus Spotify playlists, there are other levels below that as well. But find it all at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Subscribe to our feed. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right at nationalreview.com. Click on Podcasts. Find us there. Find us on Facebook. Also on Twitter. Join the conversation there at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.